Pop Punk and Pizza podcast is presented by Pop Punk Takeout, which is a monthly subscription box filled with merchandise from pop punk, pop punk artists from all over the world. So you can sign up at poppunktakeout.com. Follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Pop Punk Takeout. I'm going out. I gotta go. I'll bang a ring on the radio. So turn it up. To Pop Punk and Pizza with Jacques Lamour. Yo, what up, what up? Welcome to Pop Punk and Pizza. I'm Jacques Lamour, of course. And, uh, you know, I usually start the show off pretty positive and upbeat. And I am pretty positive and upbeat right now because we're about to talk to uh, one of my childhood uh, heroes, musical heroes, which is pretty awesome. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, I had something really bad happen to me on Friday. Uh, the external drive... The, the the external hard drive that I use to save everything Pop Punk and Pizza podcast related uh, decided to just take a dump on me uh, on Friday. And so I took it to uh, the computer tech that I trust and I'm like, yo, uh, what's up with this thing? Am, am I going to be able to get this, uh, you know, working? Are you, are you going to be able to get into it and get, you know, the everything I have on it? out of it and all that. And he said, well, I can't do that, but there's this company I trust that you can send the external drive to and they will recover the data from it. Well, I, but before, uh, I recorded this, this episode, I got off the phone with the company and they were able to look at the drive and they told me that, uh, they can recover the, all the data on there. So, you know, all the, the, audio files and video files, all that stuff, but it's going to be a lot of money. They told me about $2,400 for this. So I'm like, you know, kind of flipping out right now uh, on that. So I'm trying to figure out exactly how to uh, raise the funds for that. Cause I don't right now have all that money in the, uh, you know, the Lamore media bank, if you will. So uh, I'm, I'm bringing it up to you because I'm thinking about starting a Kickstarter for this. And if I do, I kind of want to know uh, what you would want some of the pledges to be, what some of the, like the perks or the rewards would be. Um, Cause I'm, I'm thinking I'm most likely going to do some type of Kickstarter thing to, help fund and, and recover all the, uh, all the files that I lost and, and help cover the costs of that. So let me know if you think of anything, you can always hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at pop punk, uh, pizza pod. Uh, so, you know, if I did do a Kickstarter, what kind of rewards perks would you want? Uh, so without further ado, it's been almost 20 years. In fact, this Saturday, August 21st, it will be exactly 20 years since one of my favorite albums of all time was released and was most likely one of your favorites too. And that Start Static by Sugar Cult. And it was their debut record. It really made quite an impression on me as an 11-year-old kid. And I'm super stoked to welcome to the podcast lead guitarist Marco DeSantis. Hey, hey, how you doing? Good. How about you, Marco? <laughs> I love the... Uh... I love the, the canned applause. It sounds great. <laughs> you know, well, awakens you know, my, my rock and roll 
ego. I was going to say it was kind of brings it fla- uh, <laughs> brings you flashes back to playing shows and all that stuff, right? Oh yeah, dude, it's so. it's so weird. I mean, it's not a normal thing most people get to experience in life. And as you move through life, you know, now that we're not like out there on the road all the time like we used to be, it's kind of like I'll be wait- waiting in line at you know the supermarket, and I'll just be like. Am I from another planet? Like, this is just weird. Like, I've experienced <laughs> weird things that, like, you take, you, I don't want to say we take it for granted while it's happening, but you you acclimate to it. You acclimate to this weird reality where there's, like, you go somewhere where you've never been before, like Milwaukee or fucking, you know, Osaka or something like that. <laughs> and there's people who know who you are and better yet, know the words to the songs you made up in a tiny little room with your friends just for fun. And that's like the weirdest thing in the world, especially now that I've had some time to like reflect on it, you know, because it's not like a normal thing, you know? Yeah. It's weird. It's it's so strange. I mean, you've had uh quite a quite a few years to kind of sit back. Oh yeah. And think <laughs> it's about been a that. long time. Yeah. Um yeah. and I, I would imagine that has to be the uh the weirdest feeling. And and from from just the conversations that I've listened to about artists uh kind of during their super, super busy time of their career, mm-hmm. they always talk about how things are just happening so fast that you're just trying to keep up with it all. And you're not really thinking about like, wow, like, you know, maybe you do for like a second. You're like, wow, this is amazing. But then, uh, you know, the next thing you know, you got to go off and you got to do this thing and it's on to the next, you know? Well, for sure. I mean, it moves, it moves really fast and, you know, it does sort of feel like a whirlwind, almost like, almost kind of like a dream or something, you know, where, you, you know, when you're having those dreams that feel so real that like, it like is like shocking when you wake up, you know, you're like, Oh my God, that wasn't real. <laughs> you know, it's something <laughs> when you're having the dream that feels like some crazy, like, you know, psychedelic, you know, d- mushroom trip that you obviously, while you're in the dream, you're cognizant that this must be a dream. Do you, know what, that's, do you know what that's like? Is that why you're saying it? No, no. I, <laughs> well, I don't know. Um, I'm just kidding. No, just it's, kidding. It's, it's just like, there are those dreams that feel like clearly this is like, sur- this isn't real. But then there's the ones where you're like, it's just an, an enhanced version of something that could totally plausibly be real. And it's with people you know in it. That's what it feels like when you're in like rock and roll motion mm-hmm. as you're like, well, there's Tim, there's Aaron, there's, you know, Ben or Kenny. And, you know, there's our guitars and these are our songs, but we're in some place we've never been before. And all of a sudden we're playing these, this music and people know who, you know, well, I mean, it wasn't always that way. We had a, we had a pretty long come up, you know, yeah. before we got to the point where people actually knew our stuff. So the point where we actually got used to the idea of, rolling into a venue, unloading our gear, setting it up, and then playing to like less people than there were in our band. You know, Mm -hmm. we would just kind of call those like live band practices. Right. Yeah. That's kind of what, when, when I was playing in a band, uh, actively, that's pretty much what we call them too. Right. It was like, yeah, just, it's a band, it's band practice. (laughs) And it's still better than a kick in the head. Like I'd rather play on a Tuesday night in some like random place 
in front of two people than just sit home and watch TV. You know what I mean? Right. It's, oh yeah. It, it's better than, you know, just, yeah, your brain just rotting. It's just know, so just fun. I mean, there. playing yeah. music is so fun. Um, and I think a lot of, uh, I don't know, well, I guess when a band achieves a modicum of success, it, it starts to like, you retroactively start to kind of frame it like, Oh, well, this is my career. And this is what I, you know, this is my vocation. And I've, I've planned on this, but really it's, you know, it's just a confluence of dumb luck, hard work, all that stuff, <laughs> but no one really, no one really deserves to be successful. You know, there's a mil- I know a million musicians just from our, my hometown alone that are just as good as anybody in, in our band, if not way better, you know, in anything we could ever do. So it's, you do have to remind yourself that it's, that it's like just the, I, the, the opportunity to play music is worthwhile in and of itself. And it doesn't have to be a means to an end. It doesn't have yeah. to be this like, Oh dude, it's like popularity contest. Like how many, you know, what, what chart position are we? How many records do we sell? How many hoodies do we sell? You know, like people get the, the uh, I, I remember once we started getting in the professional realm, like interacting with other bands. And of course I won't name names cause yeah, I'm a well, gentleman. but like you would see bands <laughs> where like, you know, they're literally like, they, they kind of forgot about the rock and roll aspect of it. And it just became this, like, like they were like status, st- like, statisticians is that what you call someone who does you know who measures statistics <laughs> like just constantly like dude right. our new song is like climbing up the charts and our units that we've sold and the tickets we sold and that we did ten dollars a head in merch and you're like dude shut the fuck up that has nothing to do with rock and roll <laughs> you know what I mean? like, <laughs> that's all that that's just icing on the cake that has nothing to do with why we do this you know it's so it's so hard to balance that that business and rock and roll aspect in your head, because as you pointed out, they're two different things, but you have to think about both of them, right? I mean, well, you don't have to, but once you start doing it in a way that where people want to come see you play, people want to obtain your music, you know, whether they're going to stream it or buy it on vinyl or buy CDs or whatever, um, radio stations want to play your song. Once you get to that point, you kind of have a choice your choice is to do it right and be, do, be smart or to basically just bend over and let other people take advantage of you and make a bunch of, and monetize your um, vulnerability and naivety. <laughs> you know what well, I mean? So you, that, it does behoove yeah. you to get smart about that stuff. Well, right. That's what I mean about um, kind of keeping, uh, making sure that you are still somewhat involved in, in the business aspect of it. Yeah. So people don't take advantage of you. So yeah, it's but to like, me, the business is, is just another extension of the, um, of the art, you know, business to me is, is, is very creative. Marketing is very creative coming up with fun ideas of how you're going to do something. To me, that's just like, the same set of muscles that you use to make up songs or guitar parts or, um, you know, merch ideas or whatever it might be, you know, to me, it's very aesthetic business. Um, and if you look at people that are enormously successful in business, they are, they, they behave a little bit more like artists. They just hire a bunch of people around them to do all the, to crunch all the numbers, but someone like Steve jobs or whoever is like, you know, is they have that wonder, like a, it's almost a childlike thing that I see in common with a lot of people that are in 
you know, the more quote unquote creative side of it. Right. Yeah, that's true. It's like, yeah, yeah I dreamed this thing up. Okay. Now I want you to make it happen. <laughs> yeah. It's, exactly. Well, you know, it's like being, a, and uh, you know, if you make up a song, you're like, okay, this is cool. I've got these ideas. I've got these tones. And then maybe you go into the studio and there's someone who knows how to work all the gear and you, you guys go, I just got this idea. This is my vision. And they go, okay, that means you want a condenser mic. And you're like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> whatever you say, yeah. man. <laughs> you yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's yeah. a collaboration, you know, but it is very, I think that it, a lot, it's, it's uh, full disclosure. I actually, one of the things I do is I teach college now and I teach music business okay. courses. And so I mean, look at me. I'm your music business teacher. <laughs> you know what I mean? What the fuck? You know what I mean? <laughs> Wait, so like, is, is my, that... my whole sort of philosophy is that, the, you know, there is music business, you know, it's, but then when you put them together, it's there, you know, it's a collaboration. It's a relationship. Yeah. So it's like, mm -hmm. um, and they're both, they both do have creative aspects to them. They both have more like nerdy, academic, scientific. I mean, you know, you can rock out on guitar all you want, but at some point you got to like check the intonation. You know what I mean? You got to <laughs> yeah. be in tune. You yeah. Know? Or, or someone has to do it for you, you know? Uh, so. Yeah. Maybe you, once you, if you can uh, hire a guitar tech, that that's, that's helpful. That's convenient. <laughs> but, uh, but I, you know, I think every band out there, um, it's, it's a good idea when you form the band to sort of go, okay, try to be as self-sufficient as possible. You know, you change your own strings, you book your own shows, you fix your own van, you, you know, um, strategize you do all those things and then once you grow to the point where that's not um efficient anymore because you're you know it's 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 moving at a scale that, that that that's not really sustainable at that point you outsource that's when you maybe have attracted a manager at that point or maybe you know hire some people to go on the road with you and help out but you know i think it's always good to start them I mean, you know start very it just sounds so cheesy to say this, but like start very DIY if possible, yeah. you know? Yeah. No, I, yeah. I, anyway, I, abs yeah. I absolutely agree on that. Um, gosh, there's, so, dude, <laughs> there's punk pizza. <laughs> like, I mean, you, you got a good thing going here. I think, I can't remember how we found each other. I think. I want to say it was the, uh, it was the rad dad show. I think oh, right. when you were, when you were on their podcast, I had seen that and I'm like, I was like, whoa, I was like, Marco, like sh sugar cult, like, oh, my God, you know, that's um, awesome, man. That's so a, the beauty of social media, I think it was an, it was an right? Instagram love story. It was it really was. So, so that's how I was like, ooh, like, I got to follow Marco, you know, I got to see what what he's up to these days, you know, or see whatever what the whole band is up to, you know, because I hadn't really, uh, you know, kept track too well. So right, right. got to give a shout out to, you know, Rad Dads. Go check so out. Rad. Such a good podcast. That's yes. such a good, they, it was it was so they were so generous. They let me do like a two part thing because we just had so much ground to cover. I was just going to say I have all these other lives outside of Sugar Cult, too, that are attached to like you know, other worlds that you maybe wouldn't even associate with sugar cult, like bad astronaut and whatnot. Right. But, um, so your timing, dude, your timing is just like perfect because you <laughs> randomly shot this date out to me. And it just so happens that literally yesterday, our 20 year anniversary um, of start static vinyl um, went on pre-order and got announced and all that kind of stuff. And that's, that's pretty crazy. 
you know. Yeah, well, well, like what happened? I remember when I found you through uh, the Rad Dad show. Like that was months and months ago. It was like oh, yeah. win- it was like winter time. And oh yeah. So I I said uh, I ended up messaging you and saying like, hey, would you want to do something for you know the start static twentieth anniversary right. like later on in the year you know right and uh you're like yeah that that'd be totally cool and so then eventually like months went by i hit you up with a date again right anyway we're just kind of throwing a dart at like late summer because we knew like it's you know the anniversary the record came out as you researched august 21st 2001 that's when start side it came out the one with bouncing off the walls and stuck in america and pretty girl and some of those songs that people might know um it came out exactly 20 years ago this month. So yeah, we knew it was Saturday. probably going to be sometime around here that we'd announced that. Uh, it's, it's super exciting, man. Um, I mean, it's, it's also kind of scary because <laughs> it doesn't feel like it was 20 years ago. 20 no. years goes by quick. Yeah. It I really mean, does. Good. And that's right. obviously the, the one thing I was thinking about, you know, is just it, like, it seems like yesterday. It's like, how was that? Tw- how was I know that a lot of our fans years? are saying that on my on my like Instagram. They're like, dude, and our Facebook. They're like, thanks for making us feel old. I'm like, <laughs> how do you think we feel? At least you were like a teenager when that shit came out. We were already like full on grown ups making. You know, like I was gonna say. Know? I, I mean, any of us still lived with our parents by the time when that record came out. So, yeah, you were probably what in your mid 20s. We were. Yeah, we were all in our we were all in our 20s when that record came out. And now we're all now we're all in our 40s. <laughs> happens. I mean, you know, as my friend, as my friend says, you know, getting old is what happens when you don't die. So, hey, I'll take it. <laughs> it sounds kind of morbid. But like, no, I mean. It's a better option. Trust me. It's definitely worth looking into, kids. Yeah, you know? it, they're 100% right on that. <laughs> um, so I'll start off with, so I remember, and I don't remember if it was exactly the day it came out. I want to say if it wasn't the day it came out, it was right around the day Start Static came out. I remember going to the mall with my oldest brother who was four years older than me. I was 11, by the way, so he would have been a teenager. Um, And he could not drive yet. So my mom drove him and I and one of his friends to the mall. And I remember them buying Start Static. And What made you want to buy it? Or what made them want to buy it? So um, you can thank Warp Tour, of course. Because we had seen you guys, um, right. or, well, no, not, not I, no, I didn't go to Warp Tour until 2002, but I think you guys were on that Warp Tour as well, possibly. Yeah. I'm getting um, something here. Yeah, you're I have good. a bunch of, I'm so crazy, I have these. You're going to trip out. <laughs> Am I? Somewhere I have them. Oh, yeah. So, Warp Tour 2001, they equipped us with a box full of these. I have a couple of them. Okay. And these were like literally because we knew our record was coming out in, you know, in August of 2001. So, yeah, sticker on it that says, oh, you know what? I think we had one of those. Right. So this we was like one of this those. was literally our handshake with America right here. Yes. We got the Warped Tour 2001, which is like the holy grail for a brand new band. We were a brand new band with our brand new record. We started recording Start Static. I I'm, I'm I remember this very vividly. It was Um, I remember we got our, we signed our record deal February 2nd of 2001. 
which I had just moved down to LA the day before I quit my job at a record store, moved down to LA. And then in the spring, probably in April, we went into the studio to record it and, you know, probably took most of April and May. Cause I remember Joey Ramone from the Ramones died while we were making the record. There was Easter while we were making the record and there was my birthday which is May 3rd while we were making the record. So I just remember those like milestones happening while we were making the record. Um, and then we found out that we were going to get on the warp tour and we left on June 20th. I think it was June 20th, 2001. We, our friend Luke drove us out to Phoenix, Arizona from LA with our gear. We moved our stuff onto this bus with like three other bands sharing it with us. And we were supposed to play for two weeks and things just went well and the warp tour was super cool. They they thought we were nice people, and and um, the bands were you know we were getting along with everybody, and they were like, "Look, dude, if you guys want to stay on this tour, we'll just let you stay on the tour." Like, wow. which is speaks to the warp tour. They had no reason to be nice to us. We're not on a big label. We don't even have a record out yet, and they were just like, "You guys are working hard. You guys are being cool. You're you know saying please and thank you." <laughs> just, you know, it's it's good to not be a dick. You know? Yeah. Right. And, and they were so cool. They were like, we just want to, we, you know, we, we think you guys are going to do well and the, the kids are digging it. So let's, let's keep you on. And they let us stay on the whole tour. They're like, we'll wow. find a place for you to play. That's, that's absolutely. And, so and you, you know, 2001 was a, that was a big year for warp tour as well. There were some really big acts on the tour that year. Um, yeah, well, there was Rancid, there was Pennywise, there was 311, there was, uh, AFI, uh, I think Green Day was, Green Day wasn't on 2001. They weren't? I thought they were. Maybe it was Blink that I'm thinking of then. No, I don't think either of those bands were on 2001. They might've been on 2000 or we were on 2001, 2002 and 2004. Yes. I remember that. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so anyways, we actually did play some shows with Blink that summer. Um, while we were on the Warp Tour, we jumped off the tour for about four days and on the East Coast opened for Blink okay. um, and Newfound Glory. And it was just this random thing that we were able to snag somehow. And it was like us and this band messed. And we were like, <laughs> build as, I mean, to us, we were opening for them, but we were, we were like, in fact, we were like, the sort of token band that was playing outside by like the merch tent okay. while you got to the venue and we're about to walk into the show, but it was good yeah. enough for us. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, we were like, yeah. Hey, we still get to say we open for blink one eight two. Right. Yeah. I'm looking at the, the lineup now and I guess, I guess they, they did play blink did play one date that year, but that was it. So, oh, okay. Well, so maybe it wasn't like a, wasn't like a whole tour kind of thing, but there was still, like you said, 311 rancid. There was still, there was a lot of and me first, the gimme yeah. gimme a lot of great stuff on that tour. Yeah. Um, and you know, we, I mean, honestly, there was also some 41 good Charlotte. Um, I think real big fish, um, like so many bands that so we met on that tour that ended up like in the, um, you know, in the months following it, like the following, you know, like maybe early in 2002, just one after another, those bands would like reach out to us and go, Hey, would you like to open for us? So we got to open for good Charlotte. We got to open for some 41. We got to open for like, we just were like the consummate opening band. You know, we just grabbed every tour we could get, but honestly, most of those relationships were built on the warp tour. Oh, the Ataris were on that tour too. And you see that Ataris record back there. Sorry. I yes. It's kind of reversed. 
Um, I yeah, had I played in the Ataris early on, way before Sugar Call and way before the Ataris became successful. Like when they were just like, Chris had just moved out to my hometown, Santa Barbara, California. Wow. He moved out on a wing and a prayer when he was just a teenager um, and had a record out, you know, he got a record deal to put out the first Atari's record and he moved out to my hometown. I met him the day he got there and he asked me if I would play bass in his band. And I was like, um, I don't know. He's like, dude, I've got some tour dates. And all I heard was that. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Cause I was just so, you know, like sitting there in Santa Barbara without, you know, not really doing anything. And I just figured, Hey, I'm going to learn something. And this kid seems like he's got something going on. Cause he's got a record, you know, right, yeah. that was kind of a cool little education for me. And it only lasted for a short amount of time. And then the Atari's kind of crumbled and then, you know, came back to life as the band that we all know as the Atari's now with like their cover of Don Henley on the radio and all that stuff. <laughs> right. But, um, crazy stuff. They were on the tour too. So I would actually go out on stage and play guitar on a song with them on the 2001 warp tour. It was, it was super fun. Just a lot of the very communal atmosphere bands all became really good friends and we learned so much. I mean, it was like, it was like grad school for, for our band. Cause we were just able to just observe how other bands like worked an audience and how they set up their gear and how their, their, um, the business structure worked. like, okay, who's the tour manager? What is, you know, just learning what people do, learning the etiquette and, um, just being able to do that every day for two months. It's just like, that's just an education that's just invaluable, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I w I've, I've always thought of the Warp Tour, if you ever got to be on it, it's literally, like you said, it's grad school. Yeah, it's, it's gnarly. Yeah, it really is. And it's intense. It's, it's, it's extraordinary what they're able to pull off. I mean, every day in a different city, and it starts at like 11 in the morning and goes until practically 11 at night. So it's like, it's almost like unfathomable. It's almost like, how does it even work? You know, I, I've done it three times and I still don't understand how it actually happens. Like <laughs> Kevin Lyman and, and, and at any given time you run into Kevin, who's like the guy who runs the whole thing. Right. And he just seems so like relaxed. He's just like, yeah, yeah. I'm fishing and, um, uh, I don't know. Want to, want to come, want to, want to play poker. And you're just like, how are you not like pulling your hair out, freaking out, having like, you know, um, you know, having an anxiety attack. Like, it's just so crazy the, the amount of moving parts in that tour, but it was really a, an amazing, um, just, just blessing for our band to be able to have that experience right when we needed it the most, you know, right before this record came out, literally the, the warp tour ended in early August and this record came out in late mid to late August and we had gone around the country handing these things out to 11 year olds like you and you yeah. know people my, all over the country got this and then i always had one of these in my pocket people who were watching this yes, were like, oh shit yes. i got one of those yeah so i still have an old sticker here i'm like yeah that's, resident pack rat of the band that saved we, everything we had those at my house too so right so and we were just able to pass those out to everyone we met and then the record came out and people like you went to random places and bought it and it tripped yeah. us out because we had no idea that anyone was going to care <laughs> you yeah know? and and that's what i i do remember now my brother brought home that sampler from warp tour he had seen you guys play and then yeah we went and you know to the mall and bought the record when it came out Incredible. and 
Yeah, it was just, I, I remember it vividly. Like, I remember, like, the car we were driving in and just, just everything, you know? Um, and I, I think, if I remember correctly, too, that you guys must have really had to bust your asses to get that sampler together to, to pass out at Warp Tour. Um, well, because it it kind of you know because it wasn't that long beforehand that you recorded and then you and and if I remember correctly too weren't those th- three songs weren't actually they weren't all finished right because the weren't the 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 three songs that were on the sampler uh, they different versions from what's actually on the record oh, no slightly I don't think so. no, no I, don't think so. I mean they might have. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I'm pretty sure they were mixed and mastered like the way you hear it. Cause it's stuck in America. Okay. It's the three songs are stuck in America. You're the one. And then obviously no action was like an outtake that we had recorded with a different person. Um, and um, just cause it was one of, you know, one of Tim's favorite songwriters of all time is Elvis Costello. And, uh, and so we, we thought that song was super cool. And we wanted to just kind of give it our, our flavor. So we, we put it on there just cause we thought, you know, I mean, just like I'm like a music nerd, music fan at heart. So my, the 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 conversations like Tim and I would have when we plan things for the band were almost always somehow um, at some point they ran by how is this going to feel as a fan? Like if we were a fan of this band, what would we want? And I'm like, okay, to the label, it's just like, yeah, you guys want to make samplers so we can pass it out because they want to they want to get the raise awareness about the record. To us, I was like, yeah, that sounds great, but I also want something about this to be special. So some nerdy kid like me <laughs> is going to be like, dude, I've got the OG Sugar Cult three song sampler that has their cover of an Elvis Costello song that did that's not available anywhere else. Well, now twenty years later, it's available. <laughs> it's now like, it, now it is on our on our vinyl that just came out yesterday and. Finally, No Action was just released yesterday on streaming platforms. So you can like check it out on Spotify or Apple or, you know, whatever, um, which is kind of cool. So, you, you know, you had a collector's item for 20 years and now everyone else has it, but you still get to have the original thing. And yeah. to me, there's like, there's something valuable about that. And then, you know, the, um, just to, just to have something to hand people, something to sign and, I mean, if we were a brand new band today, I doubt we would do something like this because most people just stream stuff, <laughs> you know, we, but we'd probably still pass out stickers. So you, know. you would, you would still be passing out stickers for sure. I still get people from like touring bands, send me pictures. They're like, dude, I was in a dressing room in like, you know, wherever. And I, and I'll see like this. Cause I would just, I literally had a brick of these in my back pocket. Like to me, it was just like, part of my uniform. Like I, I'm going to work. I need my brick of sugar cult stickers <laughs> everywhere. I went. I just tagged them, you know, cause I just wanted to, you know, get the word out. And this is another thing. Like, and I don't think your, your audience probably doesn't really care about this kind of stuff, but like, you know, maybe if you're in a band and you're listening, it's so important. Um, it's so important to advocate for yourself as a band and not just sit back and relax and assume that because you're signed to a record company or that you have a manager that they're just going to take care of everything magically, you know, you still have to like, you know, they'll take care of a lot of stuff, but it still doesn't hurt for you. No, there's no substitute for just doing the damn work. You can post on your Instagram or whatever, but like you also need to go out to events, like go to emo night and like, hand people stickers, 
bring if I was in a band right now, just starting out, I would literally um, there's this thing called emo night that I'm sure you guys have in Chicago. Oh, yeah. They, oh, they yeah. do it all over the place now. It's yep, it's very popular. These super cool people that uh, that um, in LA that started this thing just sort of for fun and it kind of grew into this huge thing. And I've DJed there a bunch of times. They have like people like me from bands from the era uh, from the genre come in and like DJ and it's super fun. It's grown into something that I mean to me it's like really helped sort of reintroduce our scene of like the pop punk and emo bands and stuff from the late um, from the early two thousands it's kind of helped like create like a, just, I don't know, just a, a place of worship for all that stuff, you know, so people go and <laughs> yeah. celebrate it. And yeah. it's super cool. Cause now you're seeing like, you know, these recent MGK records, you're seeing all this, like you're seeing this resurgence of kind of cool sounds, but yet they're not total throwbacks. They're like moving it forward, which is really exciting. Mm. Anyway, if I was in a young band right now, I'd be going to emo night. Cause there's always a line down the block. And I'd be handing people like bottled water and a sticker of my band. <laughs> yeah. And I'd say, in exchange for this bottle of water, you got to take a picture of me right now and tag and tag my band. And now we're going to be Instagram friends. Like things like that, like street marketing is so important. And, um, and a lot of bands just think that that's just all going to magically happen for them because they're on a label or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They're, they're, uh, you can't beat uh, proper uh street promotion and and in today's day and age like that was a perfect example of where you would do some street promotion because it's obviously changed a lot from over the years right how you do street promotion so you know like that's a perfect example when sugar cult started we didn't really have another choice you know like that I mean, there was MySpace and stuff like that, but like, you know, you kind of, there was really no substitute for just getting your, like you had to go somewhere and do, and do it. And, you know, I think being able to do stuff virally and through social media and everything is awesome, but where it's really going to work is if you do it, it's not like a binary either or thing. It's both. And if you do that and go out there and not just promote your band, but also, um, involve yourself in whatever scene you might have. Like we came from a pretty small town and if our friends bands were playing and we had band practice on like a Wednesday night, we would just like finish band practice and as a band go over and like go see our friends band. So if there was like three or four guys in the audience, it was us watching our friends band. And then they would kind of, you know, we sort of paid it forward. And then they would be like, dude, thank you so much for showing up. That's so rad. When are you guys playing next? And they would come and, And we had this, like, none of our bands really sounded the same, but we created this kind of like community vibe in our, in our hometown where like, we all sort of just like supported the idea of being a young band, you know, and we would like share gear, you know, help, you know, just give each other like, you know, you know, invite each other to like open for each other. And we just kind of created this little scene. So that's one of the things I always like tell, like, you know, people that I'm, that I work with in younger bands where I'm just like, you know, don't look at the bands around you as competition. Look at them as like your members of your, like their family, like use, make a, make a scene, you know? And it's so cool when you find out, when you go to some town, you find out there's a whole scene, 
usually there's one or two bands that are really good and then there's mostly like shitty bands but it's still kind of exciting you know <laughs> yeah. like, no that's that's true but yeah i mean luckily uh i i can say like the the chicago like pop punk scene is a lot like that where everyone is always at each other's gigs that's awesome you know, and helping each other out this and that you know i love to I, see I, that I see a lot of that in Chicago, which makes me so happy, you know. And, and Chicago has a, you know, has such an amazing, you know, just like lineage of like great, cool sort of underground bands that have, that just kept on going and, and became the Alkaline Trios and Lawrence Arms and, you know, whatever, like, uh, you know, uh, God, what's the, the legendary band from like way back in the day, like the old school punk band. Um, um, there's, um, there's you know, so many, yeah, <laughs> there's, there's so many, I mean, Naked Ray Gun. Oh, okay. Na- yeah. yeah. Naked Ray Gun. I was just, I was just reading an excerpt from Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters from his, his little like autobiography that's coming out. And he was basically like, he was just telling some great story about how his mom would like drag him and his sister every year, all the way out to the Midwest from like where they lived on the East coast to visit like their cousins or whatever. And like the one summer he got there and like his cousin who was always nice to him suddenly came down the stairs and she had like completely transformed into a punk rocker, you know? (laughs) And he was like scared, you know, but then she was like, come with me, come to the show. And she like took her to some show at, it was probably near what's, what's the Metro, you know? Cause he said it was across from the, from the baseball park, you know? Yeah. And uh, he's like, yeah, that was like his like punk rock baptism. You know, <laughs> and he was naked Ray gun in Chicago. It's like the thing that's, that turned Dave Grohl into a punk rocker. Dude, that's so cool. Yeah. That that's an awesome. Story. I've met so many great, I, I, I mean, we, Chicago is one of, was always one of our favorite places to play. And honestly, I don't think Chicago's, I mean, I traveled a bit just growing up. But there's a whole many there's a whole bunch of places that I can vividly picture. I can close my eyes and like think of specific restaurants and like streets, you know, streets that I had never been to until we started touring, and then started to become almost like homes away from home. Like we were in Chicago so often, I like recognize the person working at the coffee shop next to like the <laughs> metro. You know, like you, you know, it's so weird. Like yeah, you're touring and you just you end up in this, these same places like maybe every two months. And it starts to feel kind of familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think I got insulted by the same girl working at Wiener Circle <laughs> more than once. <laughs> you're like, hey, you're the one who insulted me last time. Yeah, you time. already said that to me last time. Yeah, come, come on. on. you Something new, you know, <laughs> yeah. would be good. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. So, so what else, man? Yeah, let's let's go back to uh, Start Static. Okay. Um, so let's talk about the... Like the the very beginnings of of that record, like the the writing and the creation of it, even before, like what was what was going on with the the band? Because I know is obviously this was like the first it's the first record. Because I know you, bad your uh, your other band, Bad Astronaut, was actually a band before Sugar Cult, right? No, it was Sugar Cult. We started in ninety nine. Okay. You know, technically 99, because that's like when I started playing with Tim and Aaron and Ben. They For some played... reason, I thought Bad Astronaut had been a band before. Sure. No, Bad Astronaut know. started, I think, in 2000. Oh, so okay. because Bad Astronaut has it's it's a side project with like Joey from the band Lagwagon and um, Derek, who used to be in Lagwagon. And I remember the way the band started was Sugar Cult had 
had been getting pretty busy. We were still unsigned, but we had getting, been getting pretty busy. And like, we, I remember being home and like hanging out with Joey and Derek. And we were just talking about how, like, you know, their bands were so serious. My band was starting to get really serious. And we were just like, God, I just missed the days of just getting a 12 pack and like rocking out seeing what happens. So that was kind of the spirit of bad astronaut. It's like what we started it on. of like, let's just get together and like, bring See some song ideas that we that aren't really appropriate for other bands. And, um, and we just kind of did it as a, as a sort of fun thing here and there in between. And we, we never even played a show until like 10 years after we put out our first record, you know, <laughs> it was just That's supposed to be like a recording project, just an excuse to hang out with friends. Sure. You know? Sure. Um, but sugar calls. So starts out, it came out, it, like we said, August 21st of 2001, um, we had gotten a record deal earlier that year. And before that we had been a band for, you know, just about two years. And we, I mean, we, if you, there's a thing out there called wrap me up in plastic. This kind of a, it's hard to find because we might actually put it out. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell your people if anyone cares, we, we might put it out at least digitally um, soon. Cause we just figure why not, but it's like, it's basically a collection of our old demos. Cause we would kind of like write a batch of songs and then go into local studios and record like three or four songs, you know, just like on a, you know, wing in a prayer, get a bro deal. Cause our friend worked at the studio. And so we would make demos. Actually our drummer, Ben was really good at recording too. So he had like sort of a makeshift recording studio in our same, like it was like a, storage bin that we practiced in and then it turns out i didn't even know this until i had been in the band for a couple months but ben actually also lived there (laughs) oh god i was like practicing and i looked behind some piece of fabric and i saw like folded up like t-shirts and socks and and then i saw like canned food and i'm like do you live here and he's like oh yeah i totally do and I'm like, dude, is this even like, is it, can you is do it, that? Like windows? Like this is a fucking storage bin, like, you know, storage wars. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 And we were like practicing there. Cause it was just like cheaper than getting a real studio and he yes. tricked it out. So he would record us. Um, and we put out these little batches of demos and we would just burn them like on Ben's computer while we were practicing. We just sort of had this little assembly line of burning CDs and then we would grab a Sharpie and write Sugar Cult on it. Yeah. And then, I mean, I've told this story a million times, but it's kind of fun. There was a local radio station and they would um, take their CDs out of like the jewel cases, you know, they would like get a CD, get the, the CD out, put it in their computer system. And then they throw the jewel cases away because they just too much to store. Right. So we heard about that and we went like drove by there and dumpster dived outside of the radio station and found like just hundreds of jewel cases um, and we would use those to put our CDs in Dude, that's smart. <laughs> and then go to like the little like Kinko's copies and make little, like, you know, make little inserts. I yeah. think I even have some here. Look, I'll show you. It's kind of funny. Um, I told you I saved everything. So like, awesome. we would make, um, you know, we like literally handwrite on these things, you know? Oh man. That and then so like, cool. go, you know, go to the like, kinkos and like hand cut it i mean they're so railer they're just like pieces of printer paper with like you know yeah that's a picture of aaron blowing a bubble that popped and we, <laughs> we try to make it look like an album cover and then we would like it looks legit you know then we would like play a show i mean we, this was the hard one to do because you had to like fold it in such a yeah. way where it would like make the spine really, yep so like we tried to i mean here this was 
it's kind of embarrassing, but like enough years have gone by. Like I just look at like, we were trying so hard to like sort of manifest becoming the real thing by like sort of faking it. <laughs> you know, I don't, like, dude, I don't think it's, you, make it. you know, like I don't we made think it's embarrassing record company, yeah. you know, logo that we put on there and yeah, I, put the, you know, I don't think it's embarrassing. I mean, I think you guys were using your all of the resources you had at your fingertips. That's you know? exactly what we were doing. And like, I you mean, know, someone would come to our show and take take a picture of us playing and we would just like mm-hmm. use those photos without overthinking it. Use those as like the pictures on the inside. Yeah. Um, yeah. That looks you know, we ass. had mail order. We were trying to do mail order. And then we would oh sell God. these at our shows for like three bucks, five bucks. Usually people would be like, you know, oh, dude, I'm qu- I'm good. I want a drink. So we would just like <laughs> give it to them, you know, and yeah. I, I would always do that thing where I'd say we like encouraged file sharing. I would say if I give you this for free, you have to promise to burn it for 10 of your friends. <laughs> yep. That and was I'm going to ask you back in the glory I- days of, of Napster and all that, you know, so all these like record companies would say things like. You know, bands that do it themselves, you know, they, they, they really give themselves like, this is the most cringy term, but they would say street cred. Like you've got street cred, like credibility. Cause you like put out your own music. Like, and so we made one that called, it was called sugar called get street cred. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it didn't even have a cover. It's just like, fuck it. <laughs> That's know? just so badass that you still have all that stuff. So yeah, we know? would just we would um this one's funny with Tim when he was a little kid. And, um and yeah, so we would just do these things. And I mean you see it's like handwriting on the back of like a like notebook paper yeah, then yeah. ripped out and just so we would do those things just to sort of like um in our hometown, almost like a joke because we were from Santa Barbara. So people were like, no one was really taking music in our town. They weren't taking it that seriously. Anyone who was taking music really seriously would move to like LA. Cause it's like hundred miles yeah. away. Right. So people, we could sort of get away with being kind of a big fish in a small pond in our hometown where we could behave like we were like a famous band, but people figured we were just doing it for fun. Yeah. And so we could kind of get away with that shit. We would like have a show and like, you know, get the crowd all in, involved and like try to sell our merch and all that stuff. And it's really a case of like, it's really a case of fake it till you make it where you, you behave like something almost tongue in cheek. And I always said to the guys in the band, I'd say, when we play these shows, let's not play them like a local band. Let's like literally hit the stage. Like we're a touring act. that's just like in town, like, don't be like, joking with your roommate in the crowd and no one wear like street clothes. Like we would always wear like suits or like, you know, like really outrageous kind of, you know, and we're kind of not costumes, but like we wanted to like, look like we came from another, like we were from like England or something, <laughs> you know, we didn't want to, like, I just, feel, I feel like you guys kind of pulled that vibe off even, you know, uh, after getting signed and everything, I feel like you kind of had that image of, Hey, this band could possibly be from England, you know? Well, thank you. I'm glad because we always wanted to have that mystique. Like even on the warp tour, the temptation when you're on the warp tour, like everyone and all the bands start trading t- merch and yeah. you know, before you know it, like you're wearing like before you know it, you're wearing shorts and a my and a and a motion city soundtrack t-shirt and like flip-flops, you know, yeah. and, like you just yeah. completely given up. And we were like, fuck no, no one's allowed to wear blue. We had, we had rules. We're like, no one's allowed to wear blue jeans, 
on stage. You can wear blue jeans whenever you want, but like on stage, no one's allowed to wear blue jeans. No one's allowed to wear shorts. And we tried to minimize wearing like t-shirts of other like bands at first. Cause we didn't just want to like, kind of wanted to keep it kind of, um, it sounds so cheesy to even explain it, but like it, we wanted to maintain some kind of like, uh, like our own thing. You know, like, yeah. it, like no, we're not I just another that. band. Like you look through alternative press and see like 10 bands with the same hairstyle, like, which is cool. Most of those bands are great, but like, we just wanted to kind of keep our own little corner of the room, like kind of be right. the weirdos at the party. You know, yeah. I mean, everyone, I feel like maybe not everyone, but you know, a lot of people try to do that. They try to find their own image. Yeah. If they can that can become their signature potentially. And it backfires. Like we were with, like we got this one year, me and Tim got this crazy idea to like, we, we got really into wearing leather jackets on stage. And then we found like at a Walmart, we found in the women's section, like, like basically fake leather jackets. They were like these zip up kind of black, like pleather women's jackets and they were like kind of stretchy so they were a lot more comfortable than wearing like actual leather jackets uh-huh. and but they were like basically like a plastic bag you're like zipping up and then you're playing a warp tour and like fucking you're playing like an outdoor show in florida and texas yeah. and we have those things zipped up to the top and you're literally just like drenched <laughs> and so hot you're like you know i thought i was gonna faint a few times but you're kind of just going okay we got to go through with this. You know, we got to suffer <laughs> for our art. <laughs> yeah. So when it came to, um, you know, you had been playing for a year or a couple years. Um, well, no, I guess by the time 2000, the beginning of 2001 is when you inked the deal. So let's, let's talk about the, the signing to the label. Right. Um, Cause, how, cause how did I, that, I, uh, and I apologize to, to finish up for your previous question. Cause I know I kind of go on this no, it's tangents. All, it, it's, it's, it's like good, we, man. we made those little recordings and basically what we were doing was workshopping our songs and some of the songs, there's a few songs that ended up on start static that, you know, I changed my name was an old sugar cult song from mm-hmm. early on, uh, crashing down super old sugar cult song. Um, Lost in You was pretty old. The the hidden track Underwear that you can only have if you have the original CD because now yes. it's not even anywhere. No. That was like recorded before Sugar Cult was even Sugar Cult when it was just like Tim and our drummer Ben, you know, horsing around in a room. And we literally used <laughs> their recording of it on our record, you know? So that's kind of a cool bit of trivia. Um, pretty Girl... How does it feel? Um, that, uh, saying goodbye. Hate every beautiful day. You're the one. Like, I remember playing bars in Santa Barbara with those songs, like when they were, you know, and then bouncing off the walls and maybe stuck in America. And how does it feel? Like some of those faster songs and saying goodbye, like maybe Daddy's Little Defect. That was kind of another batch of songs when we started to like, because if you listen to our earliest recordings, it, you know, we, we definitely like sounded a little bit more like power pop when we first started. Like we were really into like, you know, like bands like the Cars, like we we're just okay. like into like yeah. old records, like the Cars and the Knack and Cheap Trick and Elvis Costello. And then we kind of like 
we were kind of like, well, that's cool. But we also like, like the bands that we grew up with, like Green Day and Nirvana and Foo Fighters and Weezer and Oasis and all that other shit. So it was like, you know, let's not like try to be some like retro throwback band. And so I think once we kind of just like kind of punked it up a little bit more and uh, I don't know, it's like we, we were really kind of finding ourselves in the first two years. And then I feel like we 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 were like reaching for something and then all of a sudden it's like you know it when you see it like all of a sudden we were like holy shit i feel like we're like i feel like we've become who we're supposed to become you know through this really weird circuitous like year and a half two years of kind of like experimenting with like you know this that and the other and really kind of being impressionable by you know like we'd hear a new song and be like oh shit we need to have a song like that or hear a record and go oh my god we have to have a song like that and then eventually we kind of just um came into our own and at that point like our um we had kind of made a a a name for ourselves in our hometown and then that reverberated um down to LA and people started hearing about us in LA and we connect with bands down there and that's when we eventually got signed to the label and once we got signed things moved really quickly because we were like a very self-sufficient band like I said we were sort of mimicking what it would be like to be successful when right. we were, you were like right you had the you had the you know the jewel cases and everything yeah right? we were broke as a joke like i remember tim used to work for like he used to do like landscaping he'd like come to practice like covered in dirt you know oh, man and like you know we were we were just i worked at a record store you know we were just like you know making it happen as as best as we could but we were wearing like if my if we were wearing a suit and a, and a you know, some kind of like shirt with a tie. It was all like from a goodwill or like Salvation <laughs> Army. It wasn't like we went to like, you know, Mark Jacobs and John Parvados yeah. or something, you know? Yeah. So, um, so we, what, you know, what was we, the... We basically like practically, our drummer was practically homeless. He lived in a fucking storage shed. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> then we played Epiphones, you know, we didn't, we didn't have fancy guitars and, um, and we just kind of went for it. And then once we got signed, it was like, we went into the label and, and just said, here's our vision. This is exactly what we want to do. We knew exactly how we wanted to do it. We knew exactly, you know, there was no like, tell us how to be a professional band. It was more just like, you want to like, here's what we need from you. We need distribution. We need money. We need (laughs) infrastructure. We need a staff. And here's what we're going to give you. We have a vision. We have a sound, we have a look, you know, and, um, and we're like workaholics. Like that's one thing I'll say about our band. Like, until I met Tim and Ben and Aaron, I always thought I was the hardest working guy in, in the bands I was in before. And when I met these guys, it was like, holy shit, these guys are like military. Like <laughs> Tim is the most driven, like he he will just not like good enough as the enemy of great. You know, like he yeah. just does not like and Ben was like, Ben was like the you know, he was like the drill sergeant. Like he would be like, we got to go through that chorus like 20 times and then record it and go outside and listen to it and then take notes on it. And then he'd come back in and make you do it, you know? And you know, he was gnarly. Like Ben would just be like, I'm not tired. Are you tired? And we'd be like, well, a little bit. He'd be like, okay, well, I'm going to run the set by myself then. And you're like, okay, fuck. you know, like we had this weird competition. We didn't have a competition with other bands. We had a competition within ourselves. Within, like who yeah. cares about the band more? You know, and you didn't want to be like the, 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 you know, you didn't want to be the like, 
the weak, the, you know, the weakest link. <laughs> so yeah. everyone's sort of like, you know, we kind of in, inspired each other to be as badass as we could internally. Yeah. So what, what was the, was there a particular song or, um, I know a lot of bands, they obviously they'll, they'll send in demos or, or whatever samplers to record labels, uh, especially around that time. Was there a certain song that they that peaked to their interest? They're kind of like, Oh, okay. We need more of that. Or I mean, what was, you know, I don't know. I, I think that it's funny. One of the songs that, that was like probably our most popular song up until Start Static came out was um, a song that we ended up not even putting on Start Static, <laughs> a song called um, uh, "Say I'm Sorry," it's, which you could probably find if you if you like look around on YouTube or whatever. There's got to be a copy of it somewhere, yeah. Yeah, and it was actually the, I think "Say I'm Sorry" was the bonus track on our last vinyl pressing. So if you have okay. that, okay. it's out there in various forms, but that was like, um, that was one of our songs that got us a lot of attention. And that's the irony is that it didn't end up on our record. Yeah. There is a lot of irony in that. The other one people really, um, I think the label really liked, um, pretty girl and they really liked saying goodbye and they really liked stuck in America. But the irony is our po- probably our most popular song, um, I mean, statistically, our most popular song is probably Memory, which was off of our second record, Palm Trees and Power Lines. But culturally, like in the pop punk community, when people say Sugar Cold, they think of bouncing off the walls, right? Yeah. And ironically, that was a song like we almost like, I, I remember there was a time where we were almost like, should we put that song on the record? <laughs> you know, we were like, I don't know. Why were you questioning it? Because to me, right, a, right away, I mean, that song starts off with the hook and it hooks you in right away you know well, I, mean, I mean the song kind of i mean the song was kind of it's just a, again it's just sort of a happy accident like tim and i yeah. were just like i used to crash at tim's house um because eventually the guys now in the band moved down to la before i did and i was the last one that i was the last holdout and then once we got signed i moved to la too a little by little everyone started moving down to la and um and I would come down for rehearsal and we would practice, we'd practice like three days solid. And then I would go back to Santa Barbara. Okay. And so while we were in LA, I would stay at Tim's house. And I remember I used to sleep on this like disgusting leather couch that he has where he used to have in his old crappy place. And, um, and I remember waking up, it was, it was super like sweaty and gross. I think I've told this story before, so I feel a little bit redundant, but, um, and Tim was just sitting there with like, uh, the, the acoustic guitar that you see in the beginning of the bouncing off the walls video. Yeah. Okay. That was yeah. the guitar that he had lying around his place that he would like use to just like come up with ideas. And you know, how everyone has an acoustic guitar, like leaning against the wall. Yep. Like that was his like shitty acoustic leaning against the wall. <laughs> so, um, and he, uh, you know, I woke up to him like pretty much naked except for his underwear. <laughs> Um, strumming the like chord, the um, the rhythm of that dun 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 dun, and he just had this like, I don't know if you know Tim, he's got this like real like mischievous sort of smile, and you know he's like he's sort of just joking around, you know, and he's just sort of like serenading me while I was like waking up, and and we and then we were like making coffee and just talking, and we just kept going back to that and like fucking with the song and like we weren't really thinking this is going to be a sugar cult song or this is going to be some song. It was just kind of like a, a study, like 
dude, wouldn't it be funny if you did this? Oh, and then it would go like this, right? Oh, I know, totally. And then like that would totally need to happen. And like, you know, I think we were maybe making fun of The Living End. There was a band called The Living End. Yeah, I remember The End. But we were sort of like, we were sort of like, like role playing, like that's totally what they would do right there, you know? (laughs) And again, it's just like, accidentally turned into a good song and we were like oh this is actually pretty cool maybe we should send show it to the guys tonight and you know and then you know the the funny thing is i think i remember telling this exact story but like we were worried that like the other guys were gonna think it sounded too much like green day you know because tim sort of had a chip on his shoulder that like his he used to have like green day posters on his wall when he was a kid he was like a green day fanatic probably the reason he became a singer was because of billy joe yeah and, same, same um, here, so, yeah. Right. yeah, I mean, it's a pretty rad band, but like they yeah. really like it's kind of the 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 band of our generation, really. You mm-hmm. know, yeah. Um, I look at like Green Day, and you know, to me, like Green Day and Nirvana are basically like the Beatles and the Stones of my generation. <laughs> you know, I would say that is so accurate and and maybe well not foo fighters were kind of well the foo fighters was, sort of supplanted nirvana well they were after a more yeah. cheer, cheerful version of of nirvana they, they sort yeah. of like they sort of carried the nirvana spirit with them yeah but like i would say fair enough like in the absence of nirvana since since they you know they died young right. um to you know i think the the like pillars of our generation right now as far as rock and roll goes are you know probably green day and the foo fighters as mm-hmm. far as rock and roll goes yeah you know and you've got tons of other great you know obviously weezer's awesome and all these other things but like those bands are just like you know somewhere between that like if i'm sitting next to someone on a plane and they say oh you play in a band okay sure cool i don't know if i've heard of that before you <laughs> i i basically what do you guys sound like i basically be like Oh, it's somewhere between Green Day and the Foo Fighters. Yeah, it's just a nice, I'm, quick, handy like go-to to just get some like you know mainstream person off your back so they don't <laughs> talk to you too much on the plane. You know, you don't want to get into the like weeds and be like, "Well, we're sort of like super drag mixed with um, early Elvis Costello," and like you know, like, you don't want to get into the weeds. So you just yeah, because that yeah. like I don't I I don't know who that is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, dude, they're probably the Beatles and the Stones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would, I would say that's, that's most accurate. So it's funny that, uh, bouncing off the walls, almost you, you guys were contemplating yeah. on that because it, 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 it's one of your biggest singles, uh, from, you know, your, your records, all of them. I mean, well, so. at the risk of sounding like some like cheesy superstar that just won an award and is like thanking their fans, I do have to um pass that on to the fans because we did we didn't choose bouncing off the walls as our single we put up on our website like a choice of four songs and said to our you know emailed all our fans and did myspace and whatever and we're like vote for which song you think should be our next single because we don't know you're the ones who have to fucking listen to this shit you know (laughs) and and they bouncing off the walls is the one they chose so we're like okay fair enough bouncing off the walls it is 
And that ended up being the, like, you know, one that kind of like changed the game for us, which is, so thanks fans. Wow. <laughs> you know? I didn't, I don't remember that at all. Cause I, I mean, I, I was on the internet at that point, but I was very young, obviously. So. Well then, then uh, you don't get yeah. any credit for it. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say I didn't vote cause I, I would have remembered that. Yeah. But... but everybody who did vote, you can, um, you can send me your Venmo and I will send you uh 10 bucks. Okay. <laughs> wow. <So. laughs> you might get, you might get a lot of people hitting you up now. Oh shit. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Might want to be careful. I'll yeah. take it out of Tim's. I'll take it out of Tim's share. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, so you know you're uh, you, you finally you ink the deal, the record deal in you said February of two thousand one, um, and w- obviously the you know these for, for a lot of bands their first record is kind of like a collection of songs they've had since the beginning of time, right? From the band. So it sounds like that's almost, you know, kind of true. Yeah, I mean, for... we, we weren't a band for that long before no. we did start Static. You know, we right. like I said, we've really only been a band for like two and a half years or so. Right. And um, so it does represent, I mean, we probably had, I'll tell you what, the first day when we were in the studio doing what's called pre-production, when you make a record, you do pre-production. So that's when the yes. producer of the record comes into your rehearsal space and you just sort of like start to like play them. You know, our, in our case, the producer, Matt Wallace, who's um great guy, he, he had produced a bunch of bands that were like successful a generation earlier. Like he produced those big Faith No More records and he had done some stuff with the replacements who I, a band I love. And, um, you know, so he was, he was this really, he was kind of the like adult in the room. You know? So how, like, did, how did Matt come into the, the picture? Did were, did, were you given an option of like, okay, yeah. this is who is available or were you like, no, like we, no, no, no. we pick Matt Wallace. We, we mean, didn't know shit. We were just, like I said, we were just clueless, like just a young band trying to fit, you know, but once we signed to a record, the record company, they were like, well, you know, we're going to need to have your record. Uh, you know, when you go in the studio, we're going to need to find a producer. And we were just like, oh, OK, I guess that's what you do next. You get a producer. So we we um, we started meeting all these producers. And that's the one thing I will say, like when you get a record deal, suddenly you become a little bit more attractive to like suddenly booking agents were like, Hey, do you want us to be your booking agent? Does this band have a booking agent? Like it, you know, these things that we had like, that had been so elusive to us for so long. Like, how do you get a booking agent? How do you find a, you know, um, you know, how do you get a producer? How do you do, you know, how do you get on a tour once you had, at least back in 2000, at least 20 years ago, I mean, shit's different now because you can be like a social media star and do all this (laughs) shit completely on your own, which is awesome. Right. But back then it was like, there's a certain, like, you know, there's a certain validation you got in the industry. And so, cause they figured, well, someone's committing to, to put some money into this thing and there's going to, they're going to put some like marketing muscle into this thing. And <clears throat> so, um, they kind of just sent it out. I don't know exactly how it works, but, um, all the producers started sort of lining up and we, we had like, you, you know, it was a weird thing. You'd like, you'd go with your manager and the A&R guy from the label and the guys in the band. And we would go have like lunch or dinner with some random person that was a producer. And they would say, well, the reason I should produce your record is because I produced this record and that record. And they, you know, show you the stuff they had done. And you're like, Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, And we met with all these different guys and they were all, they all seemed pretty cool, but nothing really like Tim's very particular. As a matter of fact, Tim now is, probably one of the biggest producers in 
modern rock. I was going to say, um, Tim has, um, was it Neon Trees? Oh, yeah, he had done, uh, Neon Trees was his first big breakthrough success, but I mean, That's he, has, what I thought. he has two songs on the new Weezer record. He okay. did a couple songs for the last Blink-182 record. Okay. He did Walk the Moon, Shut Up and Dance. He just finished doing the new Regrets record. He's done like, I mean, his his producing career has just been insane. It's like a whole other life for him. Yeah, but, um, I knew I he think, had done uh, Walk the Moon as well, and I knew there was a bunch of others, but I can yeah, only remember totally. a few. So that's that's incredible. And oh yeah, that's it's it's a whole other that's a whole other story, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. So back then we were the band trying to find a producer, and you know we met with all these different guys, and you know it's funny like the last one, like I remember Matt Wallace came through the very last minute. We had pretty much decided on someone else. Um, Do and you remember who that was? No, out of respect to them, I'm not going to say because sure. I feel kind of bad that like we had sort of said, hey, we'll do it with you, I guess. And mm-hmm. then we kind of like uh, we met Matt and, and had to call them up and say, Ooh. Um, we're going to go a different oh, route. Oh, man. You know? that Oh, that that is the most like uncomfortable conversation. I know. Have. I know. But, you know, it's, it's your first record. You, you, you have to, you know, yeah. it's... You know, this is your, you don't get a second chance to make a first impression, right? Yeah. And so we were like, we need to, if, you know, we, we can't let like, this isn't, this is sort of an emotional decision, but this is also a very critical decision who we make this record with. And I'll tell you what, the problem with the guy we had chosen is we had sort of worked with him before and sort of knew him a little bit socially. And with Matt, we only knew him as a producer. And we kind of liked the idea of like, in case things get awkward, we don't want to have to like lose a friendship or something out of this. Okay. But, like there's that never mix business with pleasure kind of thing. Yeah. Like, we can become really good friends with Matt once we've made the record with him. But I like the fact that we're starting off this relationship as like, we're the band, you're the producer. Yep. Yep. And so that there was, I mean, I'm, you know, the other thing is like, all the other producers we met with, we'd go out to some fancy dinner and they or lunch and the record company would pay for it. This guy, we were like, well, so he came in last minute after, you know, and he's like, Hey, uh, if it's too, if it's not too late, I would love you guys. I, I just had a, another, he was working on another record and it canceled or like got postponed. Oh. So he suddenly became available. And he, he was like, if it's, I'd love to meet with you guys if it's not too late. And we're like, um, okay. So where do you want to go to dinner? And he's like, dinner. Um, are you guys hungry? I mean, if you're hungry, we could order a pizza or some shit. Like I just went to your studio and we were like, who is this guy? Like he's probably the biggest name of all the guys we met with. And like, oh, okay. he just wanted to get to work. Like he was like, fuck yeah. dinner. He's like, we'll order like, we'll order a pizza. He's like, and so he comes into our studio and he's just like running around the room. Like he's just like, play me all of your songs. And we're like, fuck, we have like 50 songs you know he's like mm-hmm. i want to hear them all we're like well these are ones we don't think are very good and he's like i'll be the judge of that i want to hear everything so we're playing <laughs> every song we have and he's running around with like a, a notebook just take scribbling scrabbling all these notes and like listening like putting his ear up to my amp and listening and then like writing a bunch of stuff down looking at my pedals looking at tim's thing looking at the drummer he's just like this maniac you know <laughs> and we're like what the fuck is this guy doing and then he's just, then he's like, okay, so can we come back tomorrow? We're like, sure. We come back tomorrow. And he's like, typed all those notes out. Wow. And he's like handing us this amazing feedback. Like, here's what I think. The front part of that song is so cool, but you only do it once. How come you don't do it twice? And this part here, and then the tone here. And the, and we're like, oh my God, this guy's like 
crazy, but we see like what makes him a producer, you know? Mm -hmm. And so he just helped us with like so many cool little like tips and tricks with like arrangements. And we did a week of pre-production with him. Um, he, he wouldn't allow us to plug into our amps. We had to, he brought like his, his kids drum, like toy drum kit and like these tiny combo amps. (laughs) And he made us play like super quiet and go through the songs so that like, we could just like make sure nothing. Cause you know, when you play really loud, like a lot of stuff just gets lost. Cause you can't really tell. Oh, it's that's of, true. You, you, he, he you don't like hear certain the game down. Yeah. Yeah. You don't like, hear certain things. Yeah. He's like, what's yeah. going on right there? Wait, how come you're doing it on the ride? So the hi-hat right there. Okay. Why are you doing uh, that? Like, really kind of like okay. slow this, like made us really like be intentional about everything we were doing instead of like, are you doing that? Because it's, the part that you just came up with first and you just wanted to get it over with, or are you doing that because that's the best part for the song? Yeah. And so many things got reconsidered and like, you really pushed us to, to come up with um, just cooler parts, trying different like tempos, different keys. And it really like, it really helped the record take shape. And then the most important thing probably, and I imagine Tim probably carries this with him when he produces records is like, he made the entire experience just really fun. Like we just like got to the studio, like pulled in in the morning, just like got out of bed and like pulled, pulled in the, got in your car and went to the studio, like excited, like, Oh my God, I can't wait to see what today's going to be like. He just, he was so wacky. Like he, he did like an Easter egg hunt went on Easter, you know, <laughs> studio, you know? And he would just tell us all these crazy stories. And um, so we, it never felt like this, like, scary i remember we got naked the first day um the first day we started tracking we decided to all get naked um and uh that was his idea no it was our idea it was like his spirit that was kind of like creating that vibe where we're like how do we all just like break the tension here you know and uh we were in the same studio where guns and roses had recorded appetite for destruction oh god this is like legendary studio yeah and, and it was it was kind of intimidating because you're like dude i'm not I'm, we're used to like i said we're used to going to like our friend's studio and making little like demos and here yeah. we are like this guy who's made you know platinum records at this fancy place where like no doubt had recorded tragic kingdom smashing pumpkins had recorded siamese dream Stone Temple Pilots had recorded their big record. Um, and like I said, Appetite for Destruction was recorded there. And so you're in there, like, there's like some dude whose job is to go get you sandwiches for lunch. There's another person who like answers the front gate and like buzzes you into a gated parking lot. Like it feels so fancy. Yeah. And we're just like, we still see ourselves as this like these broke like wannabes from Santa Barbara that like somehow <laughs> snuck into the party, you know? And so it was like, we were just, he made it. So it felt fun the whole time. And it wasn't like stressful and, um, you know, and I feel like that comes across in the performances on that record. You listen to the record and it sounds, I mean, in my never to be humble opinion, it sounds like a rock and roll record supposed to sound. It sounds young and raw and and like real mm-hmm. you know it doesn't sound overly self-conscious i mean i'm i was kind of like nervous i haven't listened to it in a minute but now that we're doing this 20-year anniversary I, I put it on and i was like "Ooh, guys it's gonna be one of those things where like you know when you go back to your hometown and like you go to your your old high school uh-huh. and like nothing looks the same as it used to like everything looks like it's shrunk 
I was worried that start static was going to be like something that made me like cringe. And I listened to it and I was like, this stuff sounds fucking awesome. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I was thinking about that today when I was listening to it. I had, uh, there was some, there was some guitar parts in there that I had never noticed before. Kind of like some layered parts, you know, oh, just cool. to, kinda, to, to give it some more, you know, oomph or whatever. I can't remember which song it was I was listening to, but I was like, huh. I was like, I've never noticed that part before. Oh, cool. You know, so well, I, I, I appreciate that because I feel yeah. like it's one of those records that like, hopefully it can grow up with you. Like at first you're just like, yeah, "Yeah, bouncing off the walls. And then as you grow through, it's like the giving tree, you know, or if you're in a book, you know, like at first you're like, cool, pop punk. And then as, as you grow up, maybe like you start to go, wait a minute, I changed my name is actually kind of cool. I used to skip over that one. Right? You you would skip over the the slower songs. Yeah. As you get older, you're like, wow, this record record is actually really eclectic. Like there's, there's a lot going on. You're like, wow, I, I didn't expect to hear that song, you know, well, after, this, you know, this is where you kick me off the pop punk podcast, but <laughs> I have to like, I have to be honest with you with all due respect, you know, cause I love pop punk. I love uh, so many things, but like when we were making that record, we had no idea that we were going to be called pop punk. We didn't know we were making a pop punk record. We didn't know we were forming a pop punk band people told us that afterwards they're like, Oh, you know what you guys are? You're pop punk. And we're like, what's that? Like green day and, and like blink 22. And, and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, all those bands. And you're like, Oh, okay. Is that a good thing? Or like, <laughs> and so we kind of were like, you know, we never really wanted to like wear some badge of a genre because the, the worry would be that we'd be tempted to like, now you're going to go down with the ship. You know, if you're part of the like cool kids club, one year that just buys you a front row ticket to the has been club a year later. Yeah. And we, we kind of wanted to just do our thing. And, um, and I mean, we wanted to come to the party, you know? Mm, Right. But But I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if I would consider sugar cult a pop punk band, even though you have songs that are like clearly pop punk. It's like, I don't know. It, it, because even in start static i mean right yeah there's there's a lot of pop punk feelings in there but there's also just like this is this is rock and roll like right like it depends on where you drop the needle if you're listening to the vinyl right yeah if you drop the needle on lost in you you might think that we're like some like you know band like the fucking Goo Goo Dolls or something like that i was gonna say like Goo Goo Dolls or um (laughs) um oh what's the other one uh uh, I'm forgetting I, their name. I know what you're gonna say. I already know. Uh, yeah, I already you know. know. I've, Rob yeah. Thomas is the lead singer. No, know. God, don't say that. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say something slightly less lame. I thought you were gonna say Gin Blossoms, but well, Gin yeah. Blossoms too. Yeah, no, dude. The the podcast is over the minute you say Matchbox Twenty. You're like, I'm yeah. fucking no. out, man. You, you, but no, you seriously, made- like, I love that. You know, and I mean, I listen to it. You know, to be honest, I'm looking at the. If you guys see me looking off to the side, I'm looking at the. This was the the uh, anniversary, not the anniversary pressing. This was the first edition we did on vinyl. I still have. I'm so I, I claimed number five hundred because we did uh, five edition of five hundred. 
Oh, nice. Was it, that um, wasn't on, the ten year? Was that the ten year, or was this? Well, I thought it was. Year? I thought we did for the ten year, but someone corrected me and they said no. It actually just came out randomly. It wasn't like on an anniversary. Oh, it just okay. came out like a few years ago. Okay. Um, like oh, I guess it came out in 2013. So yeah, a while ago. So almost ten years, but mm-hmm. a little a little after. But um, I'm looking at the at the track listing. You're the one stuck in America. Hate every beautiful day. Bouncing, saying goodbye, daddy's little defect, lost in you, pretty girl, crashing down. How does it feel? I changed my name, and then there were some bonus tracks. But you're the one is the one where like I listened to it, and that's the only one where like some of the other songs, like I was pleasantly surprised at like I was like, wow, they sound better than I even remember them sounding. Um, but you're the one. I always thought like we recorded it too slow. Like that was one of those ones really? where the producer was like, you, you guys should not play that song so fast. And we, so we recorded it a little bit slower. And then I think every time we ever played it live, we played it like twice as fast. <laughs> it was yeah. like, you know, like on the record, it's like, I and live is like, you know, you played it way more frantic live, but it's yeah. kind of cool to have it like that on the record, but I just feel like it, you know, that's one of, that's probably the only thing if I could go back in time, I would probably like, so maybe when you, if you buy the vinyl of that, just kick up your RP, you know, your yeah, kick up the RPM a yeah. little bit just for that song. Cause it'll sound more like how you remember it from when we played live. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That'll, that'll easily do the trick. And yeah, like you're the one is, I mean, it's the opening of the record and that is, that is just like a straight up rock, rock and roll song to me. Like that doesn't scream like, pop punk to me at all it's just kind of like slaps you in the face you know yeah um, well you're the one was 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 definitely like when that's that is one of the songs that's probably the song that represents tim's crush on elvis costello tim went yeah. through a really big elvis costello phase when he was like kind of coming into his own as a songwriter and if you listen to no action you're gonna go oh okay like listen to no action and then listen to you're the one and then go back and listen to like this year's model by elvis costello and you go oh now i understand what your cult is going for mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and yeah. completely failing to achieve by the way but we <laughs> no, tried no um, well you, you you put all those things together because you also said obviously tim was a huge green day fan or probably still for is for sure so, and if you talk you to know. green day they are also big elvis costello fans you know they, they are love Cox and they love the who yeah you know so i think that's part of the beauty of of, of rock and roll is that like w- you know it's like this it's it's like this renewable resource like you know one um a new generation goes and like d- dumpster dives and gets like reclaimed barn wood from the previous generation and then builds a new guitar out of it and makes you know so it really is kind of a form of found object art you know where you know it's it's a it's you're making original music, but there is somewhat of a tradition involved in it, you know, and it's, you kind of, you kind of light your cigarette, you, you light your creative cigarette off of the, you know, off of the previous generation's embers, you know? Yeah. yeah. And then the next one lights it off of yours. And that's kind of been fun yeah. for us as time has gone by now. I, I've met so many people in other bands, uh, like more, you know, like I met like that dude, um, Kellen, you ever met him before kellen quinn from the band oh, yeah um, i've never met him but i know called talking sleeping about. with sirens right yep yep and i met him one time i went to their show and my friend brought me back to like you know meet the guys in the band they were super cool guys and um 
And the guy came up to me. He's like, dude, um, this is kind of embarrassing, but like, he's probably around your age. And he's like, I remember, um, the first record, like my mom ever let me buy when I was like 11 or 12 was start static. <laughs> and I was like, well, thanks for making me feel really old. You know, cause here he is like playing some like sold out raging show. He's like a full on rock star. And, but, but he told, he, you know, told me that star static was the first record he ever bought. Um, that I met that guy Vic from the band pierce the veil. Oh yeah. And we we're like very he- much heavier than we ever were. Like the heaviest we ever got was probably like, some of our songs on lights out our third record i was gonna say definitely we never go we, we never like exhibited any like any metal in our band but i've yeah. met like kellen said he loved start static vic said he loved start static and that was like one of his like records he got when he was like 13 or 14 and then the other guy i met was um i god i can't remember his name he's such a nice guy he was the singer of the band um of mice and men um okay I'm not f- super another like sort of metal core band. And he said like the first show he ever went to, like when, you know, was, was a sugar cult show. Like I saw it in some interview in like a British magazine and like, yeah, I'm not saying to name drop. I'm just saying it's like, it's really fascinating to see that happen where you meet people from other bands that are successful. And then they kind of go, Oh dude, I, I loved your record. And you're like, cause, cause there's an imposter syndrome, you know, like yeah. we didn't think we were the real thing. We thought we were like a band trying to be like a band. And then you, some kid who's 11, like you, listens to it and goes, this is the fucking real thing. And then grows up and forms their own bands. And so it's, I mean, it's such a trip. Like we, we, you know, we thought the bands that came before us were like real bands and the bands in our group of friends were just like, you know, kind of like cheap knockoffs you know, <laughs> the, real thing. The, the generic thing but no Sh- sugar cult still is the real thing man it's yeah. just a trip man it's such a trip and that's like the you know to throw it to other people who are listening like if you are um you know if you are like wanting to start your own band or do your own thing or whatever it's like try to avoid ever getting bogged down by that kind of thing of feeling like, well, I probably can't pull this off because I live in some boring small town or I can't pull this off because I don't know how to play my instrument well enough yet. Or, um, you know, my band can't seem to get it, get off the ground. Like everyone's like that at some point, you know, absolutely. Everyone. And you, and it really is like a war of attrition. You just have to kind of stick with it. And like you flunk upwards. You just keep learning by like <laughs> trial and error, you know, that that's a good way to flunk upwards. I've never heard that before, but yeah, that's a good, yeah, that's a good so. way to put it. So you, you finished start static in a few months, right? You said you started in April. Yeah. Yeah. About we, right. finished, we finished in the spring of 2001, went on the warp tour in the summer of 2001 and August it came out. And then, uh, <laughs> I don't like to to remind people of this, but you remember what happened in September of 2001. Okay. So that was something that I remember vividly as well. Um, So, you know, obviously your record came out, what that would be two or three weeks before 9-11? Exactly three weeks to the day. Because back when our record came out, records, record release day used to be Tuesday. Now it's uh, Friday. But for the, for most of like the 20th century record records came out, on Tuesday, Tuesday yeah. was new release. Day. So, so record. So it was Tuesday, August 21st. And then exactly three weeks to the day, Tuesday, September 11th was obviously nine 11, the terror attacks. Yeah. And, and, and stuck in America had, uh, when did that get released? As stuck in America was our first single. 
Right. So the, the record had three singles. Technically, it had Stuck in America, then Bouncing Off the Walls, then Pretty Girl, and then Bouncing Off the Walls again. So sort of four, but only three songs. Um, so singles, you obviously, people who are listening know what a single is when you take a song off the record, and then that's the one they play on the radio and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so it's kind of the one you put a lot of energy into. And we had put out Stuck in America as our first single, and uh, so it, usually record companies will put out a, a single, maybe a few. Now they, they give it a much longer lead because of the way like social media works and stuff. Correct. But back then it was like usually like six weeks before a record would come out for a, for a known band. And then maybe for an unknown band, maybe like maybe a, a month or three weeks or whatever. So I can't remember exactly when Stuck in America was dropped as a single, but, you know, it was doing really well. It was starting yes. to like really build momentum. It was getting, you know, really good re- feedback and requests and all that other stuff that, that they love to see from radio. And then, um, yeah, we were one of those bands where like, I mean, I can remember at the time that like the day after 9-11, like it was like any song that possibly could be misconstrued as like, anti-American is just cut. And our song was called stuck in America. And the chorus, uh, the pre-chorus said, everybody's talking about blowing up the neighborhood. Yeah. It was just like, how, I mean, how, how could you possibly see that coming? You know, it's just, it's just amazing to me. And what I want to know is, I mean, you guys ended up fixing it because there is a version that says waking up the neighborhood. So how did that, come in to to well essentially it was a simple it was like it was it was like a snap decision where normally we would push back in any kind of censorship but Mm -hmm. in this situation it was like i mean it was so raw and so sensitive like i mean jimmy world's album just came out at that point came out the same year as us we love that album bleed american right by the way that's another another record that's oh yeah i mean i would put them up there with with you know if if the green day and the and nirvana or the beatles and the stones i would say like jimmy world or at least like the kinks like they're they're (laughs) so important but like not as celebrated but such a great that to me I mean, I'll out us right now. You would not have palm trees and power lines without Bleed American. Like that, we got such a huge artistic crush on that record. Um, it was so good. It was so well done. Yeah, that record is. I mean, that record is was the inspiration for the song "Memory," pretty much. Okay. You know? Okay. Um, I could see that. So yeah, so listen to that record, then listen to Memory, and you go, "Oh my God, Sugar Call!" They're always <laughs> ripping people off. First of all, <laughs> then the Living End, and then fucking Jimmy Eat World. I mean, what the fuck is next? I mean, the next Sugar Call record is going to sound like Billie Eilish. I mean, come on. So um, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so they made them call. They they you know they had to like recall the title. They had to like retitle their record and not be called Jimmy Eat World or not be called Bleed America anymore. So, and we had to take Stuck in America. They stopped playing it on the radio and we just like jumped in the studio and had Tim recut like part of the vocals and then have them like mix it back in. And then we just, we didn't like make it different on the record, on the record, but we made it, um, sent it to radio. So they had like a radio edit and then they still didn't play it anymore. Cause it was just like, by then we had lost the momentum on, you know, and we honestly, we thought like, when that happened, it was one of those really bizarre situations where like 
the last thing anyone needs to hear when we've been attacked by terrorists and people have lost their lives is that like some rock band from California is sad that they have to cancel their shows and not have their song on the radio anymore. You know, it's like, it's like you, you can't complain. And if you did, who would listen, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so we had to sort of like sit there and just kind of be patient and go, okay, well, I mean, no one knew what the future was going to hold at that point. It's kind of like what we're going through right now with the pandemic where, you know, it's just touch and go. Like you can assume things are going to happen the way you'd like to see them happen, but it's really like out of anyone's direct control. Like it had, you know, it's, so it's kind of like wait and see, do what you can. And we just, everything was just sort of suspended. Like everything was just sort of stopped shows were called off and all that stuff. And our record was kind of in limbo. We were like, well, what's going to happen is the late, you know, you don't want to be like, so are you going to put out another single? You know, yeah. it was kind of like you, we were mourning too. It was like a national thing that we were all kind of going through together um, as a country. And it was the weirdest thing, dude, because we had gotten a tiny taste of it because we got, oh, wow, we did the warp Tour. We got a song on the radio, the, the, you know, the record came out and started selling really well. We're like, this is awesome. And now we're sitting at home. And it's like, like I said, at the beginning of our talk, like, was that just a dream? Mm-hmm. That was a crazy dream. Yeah. Like, and we kind of thought, okay, well, maybe that's what happened to us. And that's what happened to this record. And maybe that's just, that was going to be the story of Sugar Cult. Yeah. And then little by little, there started to be these opportunities to play shows. And you were kind of like, should we do it? I don't know. I remember flying to the East coast and we saw like the, the smoke rising still from ground zero, like even a couple of weeks later. And like, um, and it was just like, I mean, this sounds so like melodramatic, but like, honestly, you feel kind of irresponsible. You feel kind of silly to play a show when like so many important things are happening in the world. You're like, okay, I'm going to jump around on stage, like with my, thrift store suit jacket on right now and like two rock jumps and like say everyone put your hands in the air, you know, like, yeah. And then you get to the show and it's a bunch of kids there. And like, I remember like the first couple shows we played were like after nine 11 were so like proof. It just felt like it felt like this like emotional release. Like you just were like, fuck, I've had so much like, anxiety and tension and like heartbreak, like boy, like just kind of just mustering up inside of me. And then all of a sudden you just get to like play a show and like have this like rock and roll release, you know, like it felt like a weird, like it felt like a, a rock and roll orgasm or something like that, you know, <laughs> and the crowd sort of way felt to this it. way too. Like people needed something to like be stoked on and like, remind them what it feels like to be alive. And so in, at that moment, like I felt like for the first time ever, I stopped feeling like we are doing this f- for fun. And I felt like, Hey, there's actually something like, this is kind of weird. I never thought about this before, but this actually fucking matters. I can do this and feel proud of it as a grown up because I'm out. I'm actually, I'm not just like, this isn't just some self-indulgent, like, group of friends making up songs and then playing them for people and hoping that, that like people like the songs, this is actually like providing people a fucking opportunity to be like, to get together and like let go of their shit. And like, like this is actually providing a valuable service to people. 
Yeah. And that's like kind of how, like, that's how you play rock and roll as a, as a grown up, you know, and kind of feel like, okay, I can accept the money they're paying me for this. Cause I'm providing <laughs> something that's lots of people can provide, you know, if yeah. I'm not going to do it, someone else will do it. It's not right. like it has to be us, but, but like actually but feel like it matters to be a rock and roll band. Exactly. You're, you really are uh, making making a difference as as silly or cheesy as that sounds you're making a difference in someone's day or life or week however it is that you want to look at it you know and and at that time i mean like you were saying everyone was on the edge of their seat everyone was anxious as hell you know no one knew what was going to happen right and, and so it, and, and it's like you know you, they frame it as the entertainment business and entertainment kind of implies this like kind of like dessert or like this kind of like uh distraction, this sort of luxury that's like, well, when you've got your homework done, you know, then you can play your guitar, you know? Yeah. But in fact, I think that, I mean, I'm biased towards music, but I think all creative arts are really like, they matter even more than all that other shit. <laughs> like that's what gets people there's, you know, if you study sociology or anything like behind any social movement, there's always been like, you know, there's always been some kind of like graphic arts that go with it and the soundtrack to it, the music that's happened during it. And like, to me, it's like, I started out thinking just very lighthearted, just like, Oh, we're a rock band. This is gonna be fun. Play some shows, you know? Um, and then I started to realize like, this is really like an, kind of a, um, an honor to be part of this, this, like, tr whatever, this community of like other people that are out there traveling around, setting up their gear, playing shows, providing a, a place for like kids in like, that feel like they're sort of outcasts at their school or whatever, or people that just like in some town that they wish they weren't in or whatever, and just going around and playing to people and you like, you know, you're just, you're giving people an outlet to, you know, and, and again, I, I know this sounds so fucking, um, whatever, but like, it's, it's like, it's not really, I mean, this, this, this kind of comes from like the, the sort of punk rock spirit of like, it's not really about who's on stage. It's about the whole thing. Like the stage is here and the crowd is here, but the, audience is just as much a part of the show as the band that's on stage. It's not like the band is the thing and the audience is just lucky to be there. It's like the, I look at it almost the opposite way. I like flip it around. Like we we're lucky. You have to make up songs and learn your instrument and do this so that you can have front row seats to a crowd, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I'm on, I'm on stage so I can have a, the front row seat to see the audience play. Yeah. It know? goes, it goes a both ways. Symbiotic relationship, you know? Yeah, no, it, yeah, it definitely goes both ways. On, yeah. On it's, that spectrum. It's, it, it's like a, yeah. So it is, it's kind of a cool thing. I know that sounds pretty woo woo and everything, but like, hey, no, it's, California. It's, <laughs> it's, no, it's true. When you, when you uh, get down to it and you think about it, it's, it's exactly how it works. It's a, it's a two way street. You know, we often look at it as, as a one way thing that, right people are are going you know to see you but it's like for you it's it's kind of like oh i get to have a like you said a front i get row to ticket. see chicago i get to stand on stage at the metro and see a fucking crowd at the metro just like kurt cobain got to see when nirvana played the metro 
Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. I get to play Cobol Hall in Detroit. I think it's in Detroit. Um, opening for Green Day. We got to open for Green Day on their American Idiot tour. Yeah. We get to play the place where Kiss recorded Kiss Alive 2. <laughs> I'm like, that's, that's fucking incredible. That's yeah. the thing, you know? And like yeah. seeing the crowd and seeing the venue and, you know, I mean, there's a less romantic way to look at it. You're like, okay, well, I got to pay my bills and I got to go on tour. So I got to set up someplace where there's a stage and plug in where there's the electrical outlet. Fuck that. You got to stay romantic about it and be like, dude, I'm in Paris right now and I get to play a show. Like, so cool, you know, and just really relish in that. And so, you know, we, we, we stopped touring eventually, but while we did tour, and I think that has a lot to do with because of, 9-11 happening early on and just being a giant, if nothing else, it was a giant reminder of how, you know, carpe diem, <laughs> like, what do we, what, you know, if there's something you're, if you're lucky enough to have something you love that you want to pursue in your life then go for it. Why, what do you, why wouldn't you, you know, nothing's guaranteed. And that just sort of was like this big reset uh, where you, we were just like, dude, if we're going to do this, let's do it like all the way. And if we're going to go somewhere, let's like, you know, we're not going to sit backstage and like stare at the wall. We're going to go run around and like see things and taste local foods and meet people and make friends with people. And like, you know, really got, we really dug in and, 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 you know, probably like when we, we toured hardcore for about a good, like six, maybe six or seven years, nonstop almost other than when we were in the studio. And, um, you know, we, we packed in probably 20 years worth of life into those, those, you know, cause we really like played every show, like our, like it was the most important thing ever. It was never like, Oh, let's just phone it in. We got to get through this show so we can, you know, get to the next, so we can go to dinner. You know, it was always <laughs> like, dude, like, I mean, it, it's kind of a weird thing. Like, and I'm not saying sure. Call's the only band that I'm sure lots of bands do this. I remember when we toured with green day, I watched them every single night and every single night, they literally went on stage for almost three hours and just like delivered the show of your lifetime. Like kids that saw those shows are never going to forget that show. Yep. Times I've seen the Foo Fighters, it's a similar thing. You see that and they just go for it. So like our ethic was kind of like, let's like play every show. Like it's, like it's the last show on earth. Like, let's do it. Why not? You know, like let's make out like the plane's going down. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you have to, you have to. Um, so let's, so not, you know, nine 11 happens. Things are kind of put on hold when you started to, to play shows. How shortly after was it? And what kind of happened from there in the, the start static cycle? if you will. Um, oh, you're so good. You're like, you're keeping everything on course and I'm jumping I'm all sure. over the place. I, well, no, all I, and crazy. And there's nothing wrong with that. Cause I'm enjoying every single, I know, but I hope I'm not putting people to sleep. Is this like super boring? <laughs> no, I'm not okay. bored at all. So, <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, you know, it, when you played like, for example, when you played stuck in America live, uh, at that time, did you censor yourselves or did you still say, I don't remember. Oh, you don't remember? I doubt it. I don't think, I don't think Tim would have the self-discipline to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think right. we just played it the way we always played it. And that was just a literally, that was just something to like, Hey, you know what? We're not the ones paying for this radio campaign. 
you know, our label is they're putting all this hardcore work into it, flying all over the place. And they have their regional reps. Like we had like Toby and Sherry and all these people that were just like busting their ass, flying places, going to dinner, meeting people, you know, there's a whole ecosystem in the music industry. And, and we got to do the fun part. We got to like, you know, play shows, play, play the shows, sign yeah. autographs and stick, hand out stickers to people. Yeah. But those people were like, you know, going to like music meetings with rate with program directors and doing all that stuff and trying to push a band that they had no reason to be nice to us. And they were like, well, okay, we'll give it a spin and see what happens. And then they would spin it. And then people would call in and they would say, we like it. We want to hear that again. So that's kind of, we just out of respect to like, you know, for us, it was always like this, like we, um, we were like, we're going to behave like a punk band. We're going to just like, when I say punk band, I mean like a, um, a DIY, like indie band that's just doing it without a hope and a prayer of, of commercial success. Like I had observed a lot of bands like a veil and like, you know, early green day and stuff like that. And like, to me, it was like, we're going to behave like that. We're going to tour nonstop. You know, here's what bands do. They tour nonstop. When they're done playing a show, they go out into the crowd. None of that rock star shit. We're going to go like backstage. You have to get a fucking meet and greet. Like, no, we'd fuck. I would often dive right into the crowd and then like crowd surf to the merch and just stand there the whole time helping to sell merch. And mostly just to talk to people. Like it was like, we were like, let's not do any of the rock star bullshit. Let's just keep it super down to earth and fun and DIY. If they give us a hundred dollars to, um, in money to get two hotel rooms, let's only get one hotel room for 50 bucks and then take the 50 bucks and be able to afford to be on tour for two years instead of one year. Like that was kind of our vibe. We were like, we never had a trailer. We just crammed everything into a van and then we moved to an RV and then we moved to a, to a tour bus where we would share with another band. Like we kept it very like home spun and like real. We never got extravagant. I don't even think we got road cases for most of our, the majority of our years of being a band, we were just using the same cases. Our guitars came in, you know, <laughs> and like finally, you know, as things started going really well, we started to upgrade with certain things and, and enjoy certain luxuries. But like early on, it was just like, um, we're going to do our job, which is to be a band. And if our record company who was cool enough to pay for us to make start static and, and put all this heart and soul and energy into us, if they want us, if they're out there doing the radio hustle and they get us some radio love and they call us and say, Hey guys, would you mind getting up at six in the morning and calling into this radio station? We would be like, fuck yeah, of course. Like it would be disrespectful of us if we didn't like, look, you're working so hard for us. And all we have to do is like go to a radio station and like laugh at their jokes for five minutes <laughs> in the morning for the morning show. Like, and then by the way, the radio station would always give you a bunch of free CDs and like cool swag and stuff like that. So it was always fun. Yeah. We were always just like, dude, if, if we want to like, if someone wants to interview us for a magazine or radio or any of that stuff, we'll do it. But we're not going to rely on that. That's like what we're going to rely on is what we can control, which is just like, drive to a show, play a show, make friends with people, let me leave a lasting impression and just pretend that we're not even signed to a record company, you know? Mm -hmm. And then when the, when the like radio love and the press love starts coming in and MTV or whatever, that's just icing on the cake. Whereas I observed a lot of bands in my hometown where they would like 
come out and get radio attention. And then as soon as the radio attention went away, they disappeared. They weren't even a band anymore. Yep. Whereas we were able to like, here we are like talking about this shit 20 years later. <laughs> it's because we had that attitude early on. We were just like, dude, this is about making, building this, building this band like brick by brick, one fan at a time, you know? Yeah. It was about the, the passion, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, and, and of course I say that as though it was like this noble thing that we did, but it's also maybe the reason why we never got as big as green day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Maybe, well, we, maybe we kept it too fucking DIY. You know? <laughs> I mean, like you said, you, you lived like 20, 20 years worth and six years <laughs> or seven years, you know? So, I mean, I mean, I'm sure it, it came uh, to a, to a certain point. It's like, Oh man, I got to slow down for a minute and, you know, yeah, live, I mean, live, live some of this other stuff that I want to live because there's other things I want to do. There's other things I want to accomplish, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, nothing's ever that like, I mean, you know how life is. It's like, you can only plan so much, you know, you can be like proactive to a degree, but at a certain point you also just have to let sort of go like trust the process and just kind of go with the flow. And, you know, it's like, um, there's only so much you can really control, you know? So with a band, it's like, are we still having fun? Is it still inspired? Are we still inspired? Um, do people still want to see, you know, are people still stoked on us? And as long as that, that was all going, it was like, this is great. We, in our band, I mean, it's, it's not the, it's not the most fun story, but like, we unfortunately hit like almost a premature um, roadblock where just when lights out was like set to be this really big breakthrough, like the label that was putting it out was like going all in, you know, they were committed to four singles deep and they were spending, they were sparing no expense. It was just like, okay, you guys have been building this thing up. Like I said, brick by brick, keeping it, you know, like getting, a, you've gotten a tour with Blink-182 and Green Day and the Warp Tour and all these things that had songs on the radio. This record is going to be like your fucking breakthrough. Like this is going to turn you guys into a, like a big giant headlining band. Right. And we were like, okay, fuck, <laughs> if that's what you think, we're not going to tell you not, you know, we're, we're, sounds good. Let's do it. Where do we, where do we start? And then unfortunately the company that was behind the scenes, that was like sort of venture capitalists, stuff I don't even understand. were like a parent company that owned the label from behind the scenes decided to get out of the music business. And they just basically dissolved the label. And so like unceremoniously, like, like the same way you would like unload your, like you would just jump on your Robin hood and like unload your fucking, bitcoin or something like that like they were just like mm, let's just stop having a record company yeah and so all the people just, at the label yeah. lost their job and all the bands lost their record company and we were on this i mean white stripes were on the same label as us the rock and Terrors, and like they were rich enough that they could go in and like just like full bore with our legal team and like deal with it right away but we had to like kind of wait our turn and go through all this stuff it's really this boring um industry legal s- story but like it kind of took the long story short, it just kind of took the wind out of our sails. And we had to kind of like, we had to, we were, you know, we were, it was, it's almost the opposite of trying to get a record deal where you're like, make yourself look as attractive as possible. 
it was like, how do we make ourselves look as unattractive as possible? Mm-hmm. So right. what was, what were you trying? Were you trying to get like, we were trying to get them to let us go. We were trying okay. to let them have them let us go and give us the rights to our masters. So we could just go away and go mm-hmm. find another label to put it out through. Mm-hmm. But you know, they were like, not, it wasn't that simple. Mm-hmm. So we had to deal with all this. Yeah. It's really heartbreaking. Cause it really sort of like, you know, I mean, I remember having to turn down, we had an offer to, t- to open for the offspring. We had offered to do a co-headlining tour with the used. We had all these opportunities that were like, and we literally had to say no to them because we were worried that the label would say, or the people that own the label would say, Ooh, they're on tour with the offspring. Okay. Yeah. Um, that makes them valuable, oh, you know? Man. So we were sort of trying to be like, Oh, we've run our course. We're done. Like let go of us now, you know? Unfortunately, it didn't really like work out, but so it's, it was a little bit of like a heartbreak, but in, in a weird way, we kind of willed it because if you, if you, I mean, I know this, this talk is mostly focused on start static, our first record, but if you go and listen to our third record lights out, which in my opinion is our best record, um, there's like an underlying theme in a lot of the songs that's kind of about like the sort of like dissatisfaction with the way that music industry functions. Yeah. The song called Dead Living, the song called um what's the other one? Uh Out of Phase. It's, a it's, few a, songs. it's a dark record, I always felt like, you know, like yeah. I mean it is called Lights Out. <laughs> yeah, it's called Lights Out. And the last song on is called Hiatus. You know, yeah. it's kind of funny because we ended up going on hiatus and we never then we 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 planned on just going on hiatus for a little while and then like eventually kind of doing stuff again and you know, it's funny because we never really, people ask me this all the time. They're like, dude, when's Sugar Cult going to get back together? And I'm like, I understand that question, but at the same time, we never like publicly. You never broke up. up. Yeah. I was going to say you never broke up. You just kind of, you know, you, we're just, yeah, we're just kind of like this, like, yeah, it's like, we're still together. We just don't have sex anymore. <laughs> I mean, me and Tim still do, you know, but no, sorry. That's, um. Oh man. But, that you know, that so, deserves a round of applause. <laughs> so it's, it's like, we just kind of, you know, never felt like the right moment. And then Tim got so busy with his producing and we right, would get offered, like, I remember we got offered, like, the Warp Tour 20th anniversary, and it was like, oh, that sounds like fun, and we started talking about it, and then, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a, I don't want to, you know, blame it all on Tim, because I'm so proud of him, and, and happy for the success he's had as a producer, but really, like, as adults, and we all have families now, you know, we have, we own houses, we have kids, so you do have to... Well, you don't have to, but it it becomes a lot more um, understandable when you make more adult decisions or like the idea of like, dude, let's go out and play some rock shows. And it's like, like, it feels a little bit irresponsible because like Tim's got this amazing career where he's like, dude, I could be like producing. Yeah, we'll go on tour. But then what happens when the phone rings and Weezer wants him to produce their next record? You tell <laughs> yeah. Weezer, sorry, dude, I'm going on sorry, tour. Man. <laughs> so, and then yeah. tell his daughter, sorry, you're not going to get to eat next month. Cause I, you know, yeah, I mean? cause yeah, sorry. So it's, it's one of those things yeah. where, and, and at the same time, it's also like our cup runneth over. I mean, mm-hmm. I would, I love playing rock and roll. I would, I would jump on stage tomorrow if someone asked me to, 
Um, but it's a certain point you're like, dude, we got to do this like for a long time. And we never like, we always did it with heart and soul. We never got to the point where we're like, Oh God, I want to be anywhere but here, but I just have to sell hoodies for a living. You know, like a lot of people I know in bands that never stop, they, they get trapped because that becomes their only form of livelihood. And they might not even like the idea of touring anymore, but literally that's the only thing they can do to make a living. Yeah. And we're in a weird convoluted way. And I know this sucks for our fans because they want to see us live. And I totally understand, but like, we're lucky that, that like somehow we were forced to like carve out other careers so that we kind of were like able to like live fast, die young and leave a pretty corpse, you know, like (laughs) you don't look at sugar cult and go, Oh God, there was that one record they made where they completely fucking jumped the shark. (laughs) And then I started seeing them live and they were just terrible. Like, like when you see like footage of like Motley Crue now, (laughs) you see like Vince Neely's just like can barely sing. And it's just like embarrassing, you know, it really is. And and that's, that's a great point to look at. And you never, uh, you never look back on Sugar Cult and think, gosh, yeah, towards the end there, there's just because I technically there wasn't the end because you guys never broke up. Right. But you know what I mean? Like uh, you're talking about the bad shows and mm-hmm. and things like that. You guys didn't do that because you didn't fake it. You know, you, and, and we never had like some big falling out. Like there was never some like, fuck you, you know, you like, know. you know, some bands when they become really successful, they start to argue around money and like, you I'm yes. the one who gave you all that idea. And you're the one who fucking, you know. And thank, thank goodness we never really, you know, dealt with that. Um, and, you know, I'm very pleased when I look, when I look back at, you know, start static and I look at palm trees and power lines and lights out each one of those records has its own distinct feel and personality. It's all, they're all sugar cult records, but it's like, it's almost like siblings, like they're all related, but they all look a little different and feel and, and have their own personality. Like this is the, the brooding youngest one, the middle child is kind of palm trees and power lines. And then they're like, you know, the OG is start static. Right. (laughs) Um, And so it's like, it's, it's just kind of cool to have this, like, you know, to have this like trilogy of records. Um, Although, you know, you know, I'm, I'm a hopeless romantic and I, I have this thing while we're all still <laughs> young enough to make a record um, that would still sound badass. Like there's, there's a part of me that's really curious. Like I would love to make like a secret sugar cult record just to, just to do it. Like even if, and have Tim produce it cause he's such a good producer now, you know, like go in, make a record and then like, decide if we're going to let people hear it or not, but just to, I, just to do it. Cause I'm curious just as a fan, like stepping outside, I've, I've, I can have objectivity with our records now. Cause it's been so long since we made them where I can listen to them and go, Oh, these are cool records. So just as like stepping outside of band member, Marco, and just being a fan of sugar cult, I just would love to see what a record by our band would sound like now that we've had more life experience. I would like, too, man. Yeah, so I'm curious. And I don't know if that means if that's a record or a song or an EP or what, but I'm just curious. Um, I think I think you should do it and then surprise us all and just release it. <laughs> well, maybe we have. Be like, Boop. Maybe we yeah. have. <laughs> maybe we have. <laughs> maybe we have. <laughs> Under a, an alias of some yeah. kind, right? Yeah. 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 
Have you heard that new Olivia Rodrigo record? <laughs> That's actually That's our right. record. <laughs> we are seek. We are. We are secretly. We have somehow like. Yeah, we've somehow Tim has somehow turned into a seventeen-year-old girl, and um, that is our new record. So I hope you like it. I, I, a lot of people like that record. So I think it's, you know, I think it's yeah. badass. That song "Brutal" is so good. Um, yeah. I love it all, man. I love. I love. That's one thing. It's like music never stops being exciting to me. I think <laughs> it's probably more of a testament to my like, you know eternal teenage arrested development where I'm still, I still get just as excited about shit as I did when I was a kid, you know, <laughs> like I still get excited about checking out new music and, and like, I'm, I hope I never turn into like smug sort of like, you know, set in my ways, old guy that just, you know, says like, no, they don't make music, you know, music's not oh. good anymore. What, what's this crap they're doing these days? Like, I think it's all fucking rad. I love I everything. Can't I love checking it all out. Yeah, you know? I can't stand that. It drives me absolutely insane. Right. But <laughs> the only, only thing that drives me more insane than the, the old guy that talks shit about anything that doesn't resemble the music that they listened to when they were growing up is the old guy that tries to imitate the newest music and like jump on the newest trend. Like if I suddenly made like some record that sounded like trippy red, you know, or like if I, yeah, if I like some came out like Lil Marco and I like had like a face tattoo and tried to be like, tried to reinvent <laughs> myself as like a emo trap SoundCloud rapper, like it would just be embarrassing. Yeah. I don't know, man. I think you hey, got something. Lame, I think you got something there. Maybe I could do it. Maybe I could do it. Yeah. <laughs> I, th I think you could. But, yeah. So, oh, I mean, man. but I, but I think it's cool. It's so fun to see music as it like just keeps on barreling forward into the future and you think you've you've seen it all and then all of a sudden like MGK Machine Gun Kelly like reinvents himself as like a, you know, emo pop punk artist and makes a record with Travis Barker and you know, Nick Long, and it's like a really good record. Mm -hmm. And is he like a virtuoso of a singer or guitar player? No. And that's part of what makes it so cool. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the same thing that made like the Ramones so cool is they weren't virtuosos. They were just mm -hmm. feeling it and doing it, you know, and it felt so authentic. And I feel like, I don't know. I feel like some of the new stuff that's coming out right now, it's, it's really in a unique time in pop culture because you're allowed to be raw and authentic and be super successful. Whereas it used to have, you used to have to check one or the other box. It was like either be raw and authentic and be a veil and like, you know, you sell out, you know, tour in a van and forever and like be, you know, only be written about in fanzines or be super successful and be like the fucking backstreet boys or something like that. Right. Yeah. And yeah. now it's like, I think some of the coolest, most inventive, I mean, in a way this is kind of fucked up, but like some of the most inventive, um, creative and like threatening sounding music is the, is, is pop music whatever is, is like considered pop right now. And some of the music that's the most safe, boring, fucking scared is underground music. In a lot of ways, like you, it's, it's like flipped around where like, you've got these like 
really fucking innovative producers making really innovative sounds. You know, you've got like Yeti Beats producing that Doja Cat record and making these really cool sounds. That's fucking really innovative, weird, cool, artsy shit with a mainstream platform. And then you've got bands that are like making really traditional sounding rock and roll records on very traditional instruments with very traditional costumes on making underground records. And you're like, who's, you know, it's weird. It's it's, it's weird. Like I'm all about people just doing their thing. You know? Yeah. I I agree 100% with you, man. Totally agree. Well, it's been uh, two hours now. Oh, shit. (laughs) I I don't feel like I really hit a groove. So hopefully you can like, hopefully this is good. But no, this is great, man. Like I, we, well, just with, I mean, just with sugar cult alone, there's so much to cover. And then that doesn't even cover all the other things that oh, we yeah. can talk oh, about with good. with you. So I mean, I I I was expecting at least two hours. So, <laughs> well now you like, know why the rad dads show yeah. had to do two, two uh, things. And, and feel free funny, to please feel like free we, to edit this thing down if you need to or whatever. But like oh, man. start static. 20 years right now, you know, we just finally like, I mean, I just want everyone, any, well, anyone who's listening to this thing who cares about sugar cult, like, I just want you guys to know that we like, we hear you and we totally like see your posts on our, uh, your comments on our Facebook page. And, uh, we don't have a, a official sugar cult Instagram, but wait, you can just find mine. It's just Marco DeSantis. That's pretty much the one we use. And we have a sugar cult Twitter. We definitely like, will if you hit us up, we'll, probably get back to you pretty quickly you know it's like the least we can do because we do feel really bad that we're not out there playing you know know that it's not because we hate you it's not because we hate sugar call it's not because we hate playing it's just it's just not what's in the cards right now right now and we would be honestly like i know i sound like a politician but like we would be doing you and our band's legacy a disservice if we went out there for any other reason you know yeah if we went out there just because we wanted to grab some fast cash or, you know, um, you know, become like a, you know, nostalgia act. I don't know. That's not what we're about. You know, it's got to feel real. It's got to feel right. And if it, when it does, we'll fucking be there. You know, I was going to say when the time is right, you guys will, the, will be yeah, there. I'm sure there'll be another time. I'm sure, you, you know, hope, hopefully. And if, but, but, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm um, sure that I'm sure there will be at some point, but so, so check out our stuff though, because we did, we hear you guys and a lot of people have been saying, Oh, when are you going to, um, you know, put your sting on vinyl? And well, cause we, I, like I said, we put that one out in 2013 it sold out right away. Well, right now we did a vinyl pressing for the anniversary. I wish I could show you a picture. I don't even have a copy of it myself yet. It's gatefold. So it opens up, has different artwork inside some pictures you've never seen before. Um, it's a really cool package the um there was 500 clear vinyl and i was just told earlier today that they sold out in one day so they're done but there's also um it's funny they asked us what colors we wanted and we're like can we choose black <laughs> like no one ever just makes black records anymore not anymore no <laughs> and, and and so now in a way it's almost like colored vinyl it's like guess what color we, we're doing we're doing a black, black we just wanted to have like a classic black record like you know like black vinyl like most of the records that are probably in your parents' record collection or something like that. Just, I feel like that yeah. makes it look more like authentic. Like that's the, I, 
And, I agree. and we, we also wanted to like stick to like the color theme. And we already did blue vinyl, which represents the back of Start Static. You know, the blue. We did yeah. white vinyl, which represents the cover. And now we wanted to do black vinyl because that represents the like, you know, the cable that we've got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so that's available right now. They're selling really fast. Um, and then the other thing we did due to the, you know, fans saying this, like, you know, messaging us and stuff is we, we made like a, a batch of a new, a new batch of merch. So you can go to sugarcult.com um, and click on our merch store. And after years of like having it lead to nowhere, now it actually leads to a place where you can buy, like, I think we have like bouncing off the walls, coffee mugs, and we have um, our classic like logo t-shirt that we haven't had for years. And so we have those, we have hoodies, yeah, um, I'm looking at it right now. We, we have a bunch of shit, so maybe he can yeah. link to it or whatever. But like, so check that stuff out, um, and uh, you know, hit me up if you ever want to. Hit me up on social media, and I, I'm happy to like if you send me something, happy to get it, you know to sign it for you or just whatever. You know, we 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 definitely like appreciate that anyone ever cared about Sugar Cult or still does care about Sugar Cult, and it's like. It's mind blowing, you know. It's mind blowing to us. Like we, we're just a band from a small town, and like we're able to. We're very like, you know, we're not bitter that we didn't get bigger. We're very grateful that we got as big as we did. I mean, we got to Sugar Cult took us around the world. We went to Japan like, I don't know, like I think we went to Japan like ten times. We went to Europe like probably close to ten times. Went around America countless times. I know we were in your town, Chicago, you know. Chicago couldn't get rid of us for a while. <laughs> like every other week. It's because we um, love you. We love Chicago. It's awesome. Yeah. And um, God, except for the time we played Rockford and Tim came out on stage and went, what's up Chicago? And I was oh, just like, God, no. why are you being that guy? Oh, he no. didn't know, you know, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't know. Uh-oh. I was like, dude, this is where fucking cheap tricks from. How can you not like, know <laughs> in Rockford? anyway. Um, but yeah, so, Hit us up on, um, you know, find me on um, Instagram, find the band on Twitter, Facebook, and um, check out our website and stay in touch. You know, right, hopefully, ho- hopefully we haven't seen the last of each other. <laughs> yeah, I hope not either. And yeah. uh, like I said, one day we'll all be awaiting for that that Sugar Cult show or whatever so. it may be, you know, or record, song, whatever it may be. We're all here for it. Yeah, so. it, would be, it, would, it sure would be fun. So who, who knows? I'll, I'll, well, you know, get a couple, uh, we'll get a couple drinks in Tim and see if I can convince <laughs> him. Yeah, be awesome. There you so, go. Uh, awesome, man. Well, um, Jacques, uh, thank you so much and good thank luck with you. your, good luck with your podcast, man. It's thank really you, cool Marco. Thing. I really well, appreciate cool. it. No, yeah, dude, this was awesome. I, it was compl- a real honor. Uh, oh, so, dude. so thank you so much for, for being on and, and cheers to 20 years of start static. You know? 20 years. God. All right. Well, <laughs> it's, uh, I still have the original sticker. So I, I even have a vintage 20 year old sticker. There you, go. you know, let's, let's see what you can get for that on ebay nowadays oh my gosh <laughs> i'll pay i'll pay someone to get, take it from me oh, all right oh, yeah and then I, see i have tons of show and tell i also have the guitar that 
is in the Stuck in America video. Oh, gonna... dude, yeah. man. Piece of I, junk, by the I way. Want, <laughs> I know, but I want that guitar. That's so badass. Refuse sticker on the back, which uh, yeah. explains how we pretty much ripped off Refused for our video for memory. <laughs> if you look at the Refused video uh, for their song... I think new noise. Um, and then you look at our video from memory, you're going to see so many things that we ripped off because we love them. And I'm going to have to check that out now. <laughs> I told you all of sugar calls deep little family secrets. Yeah. We're yeah. going to have to hear some more sometime. All right. Anytime, dude. <laughs> all right. Take all right. care, Marco. All right. Take care. Be well. You too. Bye. All right. See ya. <laughs> all right let's uh, give Marco. A big round of applause once again for being on Pop Punk and Pizza. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. And, uh, you know, it was it was hard to stay just on Start Static just because uh, obviously there's more to Sugar Cult than just Start Static. And there's more to Marco than just Start Static. We didn't even get into we got into a little bit of some of the other things he does, but just the tip of the iceberg. So I just I hope you enjoyed all that. And that kind of filled your void of the that uh, that lack of new sugar cult or lack of not being able to see them live hopefully just being able to hear mark tell stories about start static and uh, all that will just kind of fill that little gap and that little hole in your heart but yeah go to sugarcult.com if you want to see all the merch he's talking about and obviously the if you can get your hands on the 20th anniversary of start static it is pretty limited at uh, at this point so you might want to hop on that so that's it for this episode of pop punk and pizza i'm jacques lamore thank you so much for being here uh, please also show some love and support to our sponsor which is pop punk takeout they are a monthly subscription box that delivers uh, merchandise from pop punk bands from all over the world right to your door in a takeout box in a pizza takeout box or a Chinese takeout box. It's the coolest thing. So you can sign up for this right now at poppunktakeout.com. You can also follow them on Facebook, uh, Twitter, or not Twitter, Facebook, uh, TikTok, and Instagram at poppunktakeout. And while you're at it, make sure you follow the podcast as well. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram is all at poppunkpizzapod. And uh, you can catch up on previous episodes wherever it is that you get your podcasts or at poppunkpizzapod.com. You can also buy merch there. Find out how you can be a sponsor of the show as well. And uh, sign up for our mailing list. All kinds of cool stuff. PopPunkPizzaPod.com. And then uh, you can also join our Facebook group as well. Uh, if you just look for Pop Punk and Pizza Podcast on Facebook, our Facebook group will show up. And that way you can stay up to date on everything that's going on with the podcast. So I love you. I appreciate you. I will uh, be with you on the live stream next Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time, as always. And then the uh, episode will be available on all podcast platforms on Thursday. I hope uh, you have a great rest of the day or a great rest of the night afternoon morning whatever time of day it is that uh, you're listening to this episode take good care of yourself hey hello it's nice to meet you hey come in and have a slice of pizza hey hello it's nice to meet you hey come in and have a slice of pizza <laughs>